Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Hello, and welcome to the Streaming Evil Live show, two-year anniversary spectacular. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Wait, wait, wait. This is how far we've come. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now here comes the embarrassing part. Ready? This is sort of embarrassing. So I was trying to find the video. I thought it would be really kind of nostalgic and cool if we watched a piece of the first video and I was having some trouble finding it. And that's when I noticed something, uh, really, really embarrassing. Um, today is not two years. (laughs) It's not. It's two years in two days. The first show was on the 22nd. Why does any of this matter? None of it matters. I don't know. It's just, you know, it doesn't matter. It's still the two-year show. I said it was going to be the two-year show, so it's the two-year show. It's just funny how I was, like, trying to find the thing because I thought, oh, let's look at at the first show. And (laughs) I'm so stupid. It's in two days, you guys. It's in two days. That was so dumb. Oh man, they're just so on brand, right? Just typical, typical uh, from us fuck up. What can I say? Hey, hey, let's see if we could find it though. I know it's it's somewhere here. We got a big show for you guys tonight. A big show. I hope you, I hope you're ready for a for a fun packed evening. We're gonna be talking misfits. When was the last time we talked misfits on this channel? It was a while. We do have more coming up. We have um, we have that tank episode coming up. Tank part two. It's going to rule tank part two. I, I can't wait. I know tank is chomping at the bit. I'm chomping at the bit. We're all chomping at the bit for tank part two. Um, we just have to we have to line everything up. It's tough. Babies, kids. So many things come into play when trying to schedule also i've been talking about this probably more than i should be far too much hate the hair that all the all these renegade hairs that come off the side of my head this is an awkward time for my hair i'm growing my hair out probably for the last time 
Um, the, uh, the, the, well, uh, 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 what are you trying to say? You're not starting the show off in a good way. You sound really stupid. Maybe you should stop. What's up? Sam Hain Goth is here. Michelle says, glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, Michelle. Dudley is here. Um, I'm trying. Angus is here. It's a good excuse to celebrate all. Yeah, why not? We got Rue Morg. Rue Morg was there at the beginning. Rue Morg is an OG OG. That dude was there. Uh, he's been here with me through this journey for two years, man. Um, so this is as much his his celebration as it is. I, I mean, this isn't a celebration. This isn't really. I feel stupid even saying that. Felipe is in the house. Adam, what's up, Adam? How you doing? Wes is here. Hi, Wes. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you like the channel. Wednesday says it's rad idea. Great content. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just talking on the internet. But what I wanted to do, perhaps just for a few moments, let's let's wax poetically at the, uh, I like saying wax poetically. I think it's a really poetic thing to say. Let's take a look at the very first episode. I, it's been, it's been, I mean, it's been over a year since I've looked at it. I think maybe I looked at it about a year ago. Um, let, let's see. Uh, and I'll got to tell you, I was very nervous that day because I had never, I didn't, had no plan. I didn't know what I was. Oh, that's not true. I did have a plan. I did because I had the notes. That's not true. That's a lie. Caught myself in a lie. I did have a plan, but I just sort of, I, I spoke very off the cuff. Nothing. It's not like I had, you know, um, any like planned, planned itinerary. I had, I knew I was going to speak on the notes. That was about it. Um, what's up, JD? JD is in the house. Rick S is here. Nice to see you, Rick S. Thank you, Sam Hangoff. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Let's find it right now. Oh, it's it's showing me what's on the home channel. Where's the uh well now the one time I need to find it and I can't friggin' find it. Maybe it's here. Um, what is it called? The 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 Misfits History Chronicles? What is it? Chronicle, right? Something like that. First show. I'm searching for it right now. I promise we're gonna get into the uh we'll get into the the nitty-gritty of the teenagers from Mars in just a few seconds. Let's give us a second. Oh, come on. Here we go. Here it is. Here it is. It's called The Misfits History, Facebook Evil Live, because this show started on Facebook. We, I forgot that already. It wasn't always about the YouTube channel. It started on Facebook. We migrated over to YouTube uh, at some point. It was I, I wanted to sort of, because I was uploading the shows to YouTube anyway, and I figured, why not consolidate? And that's when we started doing StreamYard and whatnot here. Let's take a look. Let's take a look, shall we? I Hopefully you'll be able to hear this. Let me get this going on. Chris Morant's in the house. Chris, how are you? They call him the headhunter for a reason. The headhunter of morning morning noise. Morning noise. Um, hold on one second. Here we go. Here we go. It's coming. Got to make sure this ad doesn't hit. Ooh, yeah, right, Rue, Rue, for, I forgot about it too, the, the Facebook, it really was, it was the Facebook uh, streaming days, and the show was originally called Facebook Evil Live, and then we changed it to the Streaming Evil Live show, 
uh, as they say in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, gotta have everything marked, everything membered, right? <laughs> Hold on one second. Let's see if this will pull up. If you hear screaming um, children, my wife is bathing and putting the kids to sleep right now. We take turns and the children can be petulant at this this hour of day. So I apologize for any shrieking. I can hear the shrinking. I don't know if you guys can. Um, I've stopped caring, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> yes, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel says, you think we've been slack. That's Slade, uh, Slade is his name, right? Yeah, right? Rue, totally forgot about that. All right, here it is. Hopefully it will load and not be stupid. Come on. Come on. We want to we play this. Don't be dumb. Please. Slake was his name. That's right. How's everybody's Sunday going? Boy, I mean, it really would not be a show if there wasn't some sort of technical difficulty. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Not a great way to start off a show. Stupid thing is not loading. I hate that. I hate that. I hate computers. I hate technology. You know, Iggy Pop, he was like, look out, honey, I'm using technology um, because he was the world's forgotten boy. Come on. Come on. You know what? Let's sing the theme song while we wait. Jeff is going to talk about the misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff. Obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face. Always needs to talk. He might lose some weight if he went out for a walk. Do you think that Danzig cares? Danzig doesn't care. He's not into ranch backstage. That's the whole song. That's that's the that's the lyrics. Those are the lyrics. Okay, here we go. I got this working. So here it is. This is the very beginnings of this. Whatever this is, whatever this talking on the internet uh, ad nauseum. It began with this this clip. And that's why I just want to say, here's what I really wanted to say. This is why I was getting all you know sentimental and cheesy about this. This is what I want to say. I never intended, I never intended to do this like as a thing. It was just a lark. I saw other people going f- live on Facebook and whatever, and I had been dabbling in it at the beginning of the pandemic. Um I, you know, was as I, as we talked about yesterday, if you watch Night of the Fromis, I was watching du- these crazy weird double features of like Mrs. Doubtfire and From Dust Till Dawn or Grease 2 and the Greasy Strangler. And the whole point of, of watching those double features was just like, I think I'm the only person in the world who's ever watched these two movies at the exact same time. No one has ever watched Grease 2 and the Greasy Strangler at the same time. No one's ever watched Mrs. Doubtfire and uh, whatchamacallit. And no, and I also did Beyond, I did Reanimator because Stuart Gordon passed away. I did Reanimator and I did one other movie. And then uh, for whatever reason, I decided to, I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk about the Misfits and I'm going to take out my notes that I had taken back in 2017 when I listened to Manny's tape because I thought that's something that um, that people would appreciate. And this is this was the, I'll just play the very uh, beginning part. For those of you who may or may not have who seen this, go I? check out the full video. I am nobody. Nobody. I'm just a guy who's a big fan of the Misfits. Come on. 
and I also am a filmmaker. And I guess I'll start at the beginning. So about 10 years ago. Just talking from, just talking from the gut, you know, talking from the heart. I was working um, on a documentary for a friend in Chicago. And that's the beginning of the project. Uh, you've uh, never seen I was it, sitting in you can that corner over there. The Life and Times of George Romero is a fantastic documentary. I hope that sees the light of day someday. I'm telling you, with all these documentary projects, it just does not come out. Uh, you'd be surprised. You have no idea. That were attempted about the misfits, uh, separate from uh, what I'm doing here now, or what I've been trying to do. All right, that's it. I just wanted to look at that very briefly. Um, like I said, it's just interesting. It's just amazing. Do something, do something that you love to do in life and don't worry about results. Don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about what your intention is. Just go out and do something that you enjoy. And you know what? I found out very quickly that people will respond to you if you speak out to them. So I start people like Rue Mork, you know, people started to talk back at me and we started to have these conversations and it just, you know, evolved into whatever it is at today, you know, nothing, nothing huge. We are very close to 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is great. My, my, my big long-term goal at the moment is to get to 10,000 subscribers. So we're almost 40% of the way there. If you are not subscribed to the YouTube channel, uh, or if you're watching this on Facebook, please take a moment and watch on YouTube because that really helps and subscribing really helps and whatnot. Um, and yeah, dude, it's true. It's so it's so true, man. Rue, you're right. Much has changed in the past two years. Mike's lights, all sorts of stuff. I started using software. You know, I started making enough money doing this that I actually started to invest in software to do it. You know, I pay a subscription for everything that you see on this screen. Um, you know, I, I started to, you know, now now we have this banner. I mean, thanks to thanks to Riot Stickers and Sharpie Riot. I mean, all this stuff is just a manifestation of just doing something that I love to do. I'm not saying that I have like it's not like saying like there's like a ton of stuff or anything like, whoa, oh, it's really crazy. But I'm just saying like the the amount of content, the um just all the stuff that's come come from this, the uh manifested itself, it, it just happened because I I discovered that I like talking and podcasting and just my point with all this is do what you love, whether it's making you money or not, whether do something that you love, if it makes you happy, if it, you like who you are when you're doing it, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And um, it, it just, it doesn't matter. And most importantly, do not attach yourself to outcomes because if you attach yourself to outcomes, you are setting yourself up um, for a big fall. If you fall short, I fall short all the time. All the friggin' time. I thought I'd have more subscribers. I thought I would, you know, my channel would be bigger. I thought I'd be making even more money than I am right now. Um, but I still show up. I don't give up. I still show up. I still do it. I do it because I love it. Um, and that's just the primary thing to re remember. I think I'm getting a little redundant here. So I'm just going to shut up about all this stuff. Let's launch into the show and get to business as usual. You notice we've had a bit of a lag on the Misfit stuff. It's because I'm being more selective now. We've been doing this for two years. 95 shows. We're approaching 100 shows. 
And I feel that it's time to be selective and do shows that really count instead of just trying to come up with any sort of filler nonsense. Um, you know, just do do strong stuff. Don't don't uh, save all the weak stuff for like BS stuff, like uh, you know, Night of the Promise or whatever, that sort of thing. Let's um, let's do an actual. Let's start off with the actual. Uh, what should I call it? Ready? We're gonna go. We're gonna go into it with the uh, original. The, the original. Ready? Jeff is gonna talk about the Misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk. My eyes show some weight if he went out for a walk. Do you think Jesse cares? He doesn't care. He's out in the ranch. There we go. And you know what? Even though that one guy will probably get really mad at me for doing this, this is a big salute to all the Patreons, all the YouTube members, all the subscribers, all of you guys that uh, support this channel with your viewership and whatnot. Um, let's go for an extreme dancing close-up. This is about to get really loud. I'm warning you, this is going to be loud. Be careful. <laughs> this one dude was like, if you keep doing that, I'm going to stop watching your show. And I was like, wow, maybe people don't like this. I'm going to stop doing it. But I really like that that extreme Danzig purr. It's a lot of fun. Um, okay, so where did we last leave off? Uh, trying to remember some. Remember some. Where did we last leave off? Um, w- welcome, Matt. Max is here. Not was here. He is here. Chutzpah. Chutzpah, yes. Orbech. Chutzpah, you know what that means? It means a lot of, um, God, what is what is the proper word for, what is the English translation of chutzpah? Like um, nerve, you got a lot of nerve. Ata arbe chutzpah. That was a terrible Israeli accent. My, my wife would be upset. Okay. Okay, so this is part two of Teenagers from Mars. We did part one already. What is Teenagers from Mars? Teenagers from Mars, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, is a book that was put out by Bazillion Press. It was done by Frank White and Ken Kayafa. Kayafa is the is the third, well, he's the middle Kayafa brother. You have Jerry Kayafa. He's Jerry only. You have Rocky a.k.a. Schlock, a.k.a. Kenny. He's the middle brother. And then you have Doyle, Cousin Doyle, a.k.a. Paul Kayafa, Paul P.C. Doyle, as he was called at the very beginnings of, of everything. He's the younger brother. And the, the younger brother and the oldest brother, they are the guitar and bass of the what you would call the classic lineup of the misfits. Right. I, I knew I knew you were I knew you were just you meant it as a compliment. I, I totally Totally picked that up. I did. I did. Um, so what happened was, and then Frank, who's Frank White? He he is a dude. He's a photographer who was, he was like the official band photographer, at least one of them 
in the 90s period. We talk about the 90s from time to time, but we do have not dived into the 90s as deeply as we have dived into the original period of 1977 to 1983, where we, I mean, we painstakingly pour over minutiae, all sorts of minutiae. Um, that's part of the reason why I wanted to have Tank on the show, because Tank is a tank was there for the entire period and, and can give us an accurate oral history of that time from his perspective. And this is a great sort of appetizer for part two, because we're going to be talking about those, about those, uh, about those years uh, in that next episode. Um, so we decided to split up the book into two parts. Obviously, we're going to do 77 to 83, which I thought could actually be split up into two parts in and of itself. And I found that we, I think we were having so much fun that I decided to just do it. We just went through the whole thing. Right. And then um, I figured we keep the back end for for now. And hopefully it won't take so long to load things up because I have a different sort of way of of doing this now. I have all the stuff right here. Let's let's blow this up even bigger so we have we can really really see everything. And we're going to start now. So now the year. So what has happened in the interim? The Misfits break up in 1983. Uh, Glenn Danzig starts Samhain. Yada yada yada. He does his Samhain thing that evolves into Danzig. Jerry and Doyle they start Christ the Conqueror after a couple of years of just sort of working in the shop and raising families and whatnot. Um, Christ, the con they, 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 some things happen over mer uh, merch, old merch, skateboard decks, t-shirts, whatnot. Um, Jerry and Doyle decide to form a class action lawsuit and, and sue Glenn Danzig. And initially they're just suing for money. And then eventually for royalties, for royalties that they are owned. Oh, they've never been paid any royalties. And eventually, I think that shifted, could be wrong. Maybe they were always fighting for the name. I believe it shifted, though. And eventually, it became about getting the, the name back and the right to record. They, it, what it started off was a piece of the publishing. Or it started off is that they wanted a percentage of the, maybe the songwriting. You know, they wanted to claim that they were, that they had written a percentage of the songs. Down to Jerry being like, it was my idea to do whoa, whoa, whoa right here right there that sort of thing which we learned from when mike hideous was on the show if you've not seen the mike hideous show it's a three-hour show it's on this channel and he talks about videotaping jerry while he's like cataloging bootlegs and writing things down and saying i wrote whoa 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 right here so that should count as songwriting that sort of thing so that's what jerry was and then you know there's the whole argument we can go on and on and on about like what qualifies as songwriting you know if you write even just a, a verse does that count what is the identity of a song is it riffs or is it melody and you know melody and lyrics and in a court of law it's melody and lyrics so the person who's singing the song comes up with the melody and the lyrics technically and if they filed for the publishing they would be the the songwriting owner even if they didn't write anything on a guitar or a bass or a drummer or a piano or whatnot that sort of thing that's where you de derive a a a song's identity I uh, to to loop that back around. Eventually, Jerry and Doyle they decided that they just wanted to be the Misfits again, and they reached a compromise with with uh, Uncle Glenn, Uncle Jerry, and Uncle Glenn and Cousin Doyle. They all reached a, a a bargain, and 
Uncle Jerry and Uncle Doyle and Cousin Doyle, they they came back as the Misfits officially. Christ the Conqueror turns into the Misfits, right? And uh, Glenn was doing his Danzig thing. And you know, it's funny, all throughout this time, the only person who's covering Misfit songs and like kind of keeping the, the mark alive, and he would use it as a basis for his own lawsuits, but we're not going to get into any of that, is Bobby Steele. Bobby Steele and that, whatever those 11, 12 years, he was the only one who was playing Misfit songs, right? Besides, well, Glenn was too. Glenn was doing, you know, Die, Die, My Darling and Death Comes Ripping and, you know, anything that was a Sam Haynes song and then became a Danzig song to like fill out the, the set list. Um, so Glenn was performing a couple of songs too. It's not just Bobby. Um, so there's that. Okay, let's share our screen right now. Why is my nose is just bothering me? A little itchy. Must be all the cocaine. Um, that's why every time I scratch my nose, some 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 guy in the comments is like, "Hey Jeff, he must do a lot of cocaine." <laughs> so funny. All right, here we go. I turned into the Crimson Ghost by Ken Kaiafa. So this is where part two picks up, and and this is uh Ken. Ken would dress up as well. He'll let him explain. Why why do I have to explain it? He's written the whole thing. Let's uh, let's give him the respect of of saying it himself. Ready? Uh, bear with me. The text is small, and I'm going to try my best here. I'll zoom. Let me see if I can zoom in on this for myself. That, yeah. Okay. There we go. Okay. After the first period of the Misfits ended in 1983, the band's notoriety only seemed to grow. In the mid-90s, my brothers reached an agreement with Glenn Danzig so that they could record and perform again as the Misfits. It's amazing how in that opening sentence, it's a, it's a long sentence, that opening sentence encompasses essentially 11 years of history. Uh, and, you know, I totally understand. I don't think that Rocky, that Ken wants to talk about lawsuits in his book. Um, I get it. I get it. Uh, naturally, they asked me to help with the resurrection. Right away, we asked Dr. Chud to play drums. We had been friends with him since childhood, so that part was easy. I think I'm not, I feel like it's a little bit more complicated than that, but maybe I'm not. We'll ask, let's ask Tank. Let's ask Tank when he, I think we started to in the last episode. I, I think it was a little, uh, Dr. Chud's dad used to play baseball with uh, Jerry and Doyle's dad, and Chud was in the same grade as Doyle and Steve Zing and Yuri Vaughn. He was, he was class of 82. However, Chud was not into punk rock. Chud wasn't into punk rock and he wasn't into the misfits or anything. He was like a new wave guy and like a jock and like would actually make fun of like punk rock people. So, you know, he, he sort of fell into this in the same way that maybe Graves did a little bit. Um, and that he was kind of like a, uh, yeah, he was just like a new wave guy. He played in a band called Dan Kidney and the Pulsations because he was just totally into new wave. What's up, Steve? Welcome to the show. All right, moving on, moving on. We asked Glenn if he was interested in rejoining, but he was too involved in his many other projects. That is a, mind you, Ken is writing this. The, the Misfits have reunited, right? They reunited in 2016. So 
it's you know you have to you have to realize that he's writing this two years after glenn and jerry are performing on the stage again and i'm sure that there were he i don't know i feel like he's he's got to walk on eggshells and to some extent especially because one thing we didn't mention we should mention it let's mention it right now the the reason why we're doing this because honestly i would just tell you all to just go buy the book you can't get this book anymore it is out of print it was it was pulled from publishing you cannot get this book um and so i think that it's okay to look through the whole book and sort of like you know just um cherish it and talk about it and um that sort of thing because you can't legally buy it if you could legally buy it i would say buy the book just buy the book and read it yourselves so that's why we're here but it's just interesting uh the words are being i feel like the words are chosen a certain way and that's not like that's not what happened that is what happened it's just very interesting how condensed and brief uh because there's like stories behind some of the stuff like we asked glenn if he was interested in rejoining that's a whole story and we're going to hear from a guy who was there uh, the next time, like I said, going back to Grim, the Grim Tales uh, tank, he was there when that went down and, and he told. And if you watched, if you watched on Patreon, the Sal B in that Sal B clip, I put a little bonus thing at the end where Sal B is talking about that time at the hotel and, and what had happened as well. So if you're not a Patreon and you sign up for the Patreon, uh, you will be able to see that. Uh so he was too, Glenn was too involved and Glenn. I don't think Glenn ever would have done that. Jerry and Doyle have always said that they did that be, uh, as you know, Jerry has said in interviews, oh, I did that for the fans. I did that. We didn't really want to do that, but we did that because we wanted to, um, Oh, where did I go? Oh, there I am. We, we didn't want to, we, we wanted to do right by what our fans, by, by what our fans wanted, that sort of thing. Um, which is, you know, makes sense. In any case, auditions for a singer began. This process took many months, as I recall. The guys were very discriminating. Uh, this person had, had very big shoes to fill. And, you know, I mean, it's true. And we've heard from two people who have done, three people who have done that audition process. Once again, Jonathan Grimm, he, did, he auditioned. We also heard from a uh, friend of the show, uh, John of Doom and John of Steel from the band Voice of Doom. By the way, Voice of Doom has a brand new CD single. Go check it out on their Bandcamp, uh, along with all their other stuff. Go check them out. They both auditioned. They've talked about it on this show as well, about what it was like to audition. They've mentioned that, you know, here's the thing, at least from what I've heard and what I've, you know, been been told is that you know th they had they had grave graves was was always sort of the second banana during this audition process he was there he would sit in or whatever he would sing with them or he was just always just kind of hanging around ever since they first met him but they were always looking for somebody better and originally they wanted dave vanian and it's interesting that kenny doesn't even mention dave vanian here i would love to hear dave vanian's thoughts on all this by the way but ultimately Ultimately, they they had this guy, Michael Emmanuel, waiting in the wings. It's actually Tank is the one who coined the name Michael Graves. Uh, Jerry wanted to call him Microphone, supposedly. Um, allegedly. 
In any case, the guys were very discriminating. This person had very big shoes to fill. After much deliberating and discussion, we all agreed on Michael Graves. So when he says after much deliberating and discussion um, and that they agreed on Michael Graves, what really happened was they wanted Peter Steele to do it. And they actually had, just to add insult to injury, they had Michael Graves teaching Peter Steele the songs and Peter Steele was the guy who was like, well, you know, why am I learning these songs? This guy sings them well and he's young and whatnot. Um, why don't this is your singer? And so they Jerry and, and Doyle begrudgingly, I guess they were like, they were like, all right, you know, that that sort of thing. Um, and that's how Mike got the the slot. And, you know, we do a lot of Mike, Michael Graves bashing on this channel, but I do want to say about Michael Graves, I do want to say this for that band that also calls themselves the Misfits. I wish they didn't call themselves the Misfits, but they did for that band and the material that they wrote and recorded American Psycho and Famous Monsters. Michael Graves does a great job singing those songs. They're his songs. He wrote those songs. He's fine. He's good. You can't, you can't, you can't, uh, you got to call, you got to call a spade a spade. It's not my, not a big, super big fan of his voice per se, but you know, I love American Psycho and Famous Monsters in its own right, in its own way, not as Misfits material, but as whatever that you would, Resurrection, the Resurrection Band, the, I don't know. Point is, is that um, he was good. He was good for what they wanted. They wanted someone young. They wanted someone to mold. The, the Misfits have always been a band, even going back to the Danzig years, they've always been a band of, uh, you know, creating a uh, molding impressionable youth. They did it with Doyle. Uh, Glenn did it with Jerry. They did it with Franche Como. That's, that, that's their MO. So it makes perfect sense that Jerry would want to do that with Michael Graves. And that's what they did instead of having an established guy like Peter Steele. Um, where would the band have gone if they had gotten Peter Steele? Where would the band have gone if they had gone with Mike Hideous, who I believe also tried out and they passed on him? Um, it would have been a different band. It would have been uh, a different sound. It would have been an interesting sound. I would have loved to have heard the, I've said this before on the channel. I would have loved to have heard a Michael, Mike Hideous record. You know, that would have been fascinating. Uh, let's go to the comments. Super quick, guys, I'm going to be mostly not ignoring comments, but like we, we, we have a lot to do tonight. So we got to we got to make sure we stay on schedule. Microphone, I'm glad that never happened, says Ravner. Dagger Love says, I called up Jerry back then and his wife answered and they put Jerry on. I asked if they're looking for a Glenn clone and he said no and to send a tape in. Uh, Dudley says, Ah, I see. I didn't know you started on Facebook. Yes, yes. This all started on Facebook. Um, we can say what we want now, but MG was the best thing for the band at the time. Yeah, you can't, it can't, you, you really cannot, you can't take away from, you can't take away from that. We slag on him a lot, but like, it's true. Like he was very, like, you can't take that away from Michael Graves. He, he was perfect for that version of that band doing those songs that he wrote a lot of. You know, um, when you look at who are the most prolific songwriters in the Misfits, Michael Graves is at the top. Can't be can't be argued with. Can't be argued with. Um, Ravner says, I saw the resurrection 
show uh, Baltimore, October 30th, 1996. They played the hits and signed everything for the fans. Had say what you want, uh, but as a live act, they delivered the goods. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no argument there. No argument there. As always, as we always say, forevermore, it's just using the name that belonged to a different band with a different leader and a different sound and a different tone. And it just, that was not right. But the band as a band, if you want to call them the, the you know, them or Dead Kings Rise or whatever, uh, you know, Christ the Conqueror, Mach, Mach 2, phenomenal band, tight band, lots of chemistry, great songwriting prowess together. Um, more metal, more metal than say punk, a, a fusion, quite a fusion of punk and metal, I guess, whatever. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, but that, that's what they would do. They would rehearse guys and you could bring your tape. You could bring it. Oh no, they would, they would pop in a tape. They would record your rehearsal. It was Dr. Chud was recording everything, I think. And then you would get a copy of your tape as a souvenir. So even if you didn't get to be in the band or get the gig, you still got a copy of the, the rehearsal, the audition. I mean, what a keepsake, what other band, and, you know, again, it's not like they're paying for people's gas to come up there and audition. It's a good trade-off. It's like, hey, a couple tanks of gas and some some gas station food, lunch, whatever, incidentals, um, tolls to, to come up to the place, meet the guys in the band and rehearse and get a recording of that forever. No matter what, that is a really cool story. And we've spoken to many people who have that really cool story as a result. So, um. That, that that's what that, I mean, that's that's really what there is to say in that regard. Rehearsals began first with the classic misfit songs and other songs my brothers had written in a prior project. Notice how he does not say Christ the Conqueror, probably because Jerry doesn't want that mentioned, I would imagine. Or he's anticipating that Jerry might not want that mentioned. I don't know. I'm, I can't speak for Ken. Um, I haven't spoken to Ken in many years, uh, and I think he's a wonderful, wonderful guy who's been super wonderful to me. I have nothing but nice, positive things to say about Ken. Just want to put that out there as well. During this gestation, I'm just saying that this feels political. There's a political bend on it, and there has to be, and I get it. I totally get it. And even still, as benign as this is written, it still got shut down by Glenn and Jerry. During this gestation period, I was preparing to tour. I built speaker cabinets, drum risers, and backdrops, researched shipping companies and bus rentals met with t-shirt printers uh, contacted a dream list of artists such as basil gogos ed repka uh, boris uh, vallejo i don't know how to say that name and mike landerman i did interview basil gogos for my project my lodi project i have interviewed him rest in peace basil um, I didn't talk to him about the old misfits because he never worked with the old misfits i talked with him about famous monsters magazine and the devil ox um, so I hope that the, those sound bites will make it into the whatever the final thing is when it, whenever it, it comes about. Um, Ken continues, he planned with booking agents, found a road crew, arranged passports and visas, booked flights, revived the Fiend Club, set up interviews and photo shoots, ordered tour merchandise, coordinated hospitality and hotel rooms organized guest lists and passes and handled a few other details. In short, once again, I was the band's tour manager and de facto manager. So even though Kenny is not in the band, like musically, he is 
absolutely part of the heart and soul of this operation and what's going on. And his, his, um, he, he is so, he is so important to the operation. It's, it's, he's, he's of, of, uh, invaluable, invaluable is the word I am looking for here must be, must, cannot be understated enough or cannot be overstated enough. I should say, um, my input on all aspects of band functions was requested and respectfully considered. My input wasn't always given. Uh, sorry, my input wasn't always given the thumbs up, but it was always part of the equation. So he's saying, even though my suggestions didn't always make it into the the, the final call or whatever, um, I was still considered, and uh, I had that sort. He had that sort of um, voice in the in the operation what's up chris how you doing dudley says i agree that's really how i got into the band my buddy told me they kicked the singer out because he was too crazy so i was like i was got to hear i got to hear that 20 years later haven't gone a day or dot 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 or more without danzig <laughs> uh thank you uh, uh dudley thinks i'm absolutely a great speaker i love hearing that uh, great self-esteem booster. Uh, Chris, join us on, get off of Facebook, join us on YouTube. By the way, uh, help us reach 4,000 subscribers. I see 45 people watching um, on various different platforms. Come and subscribe to the channel. If you subscribe to the channel, you're, you're getting us a little bit closer to our goal of making it to 4,000, which is 40% of the way there to our, our, our next long-term goal. So please consider doing that. Okay, sorry. Let's get back into it. Uh, our first public outing came in 1995 at a horror convention in New Jersey called Chiller Theater Expo. Now, this is the third year that Chiller Theater had been operating. I thought that 95 was the first one. We found out during that first episode of The Grim Tales was actually the third year. And that, that's how they sort of, they, they had been doing convention stuff. They were even going to kiss conventions. It was the misfits had like a, a misfits table at a kiss convention, which might explain why some people think of them also, or why some people have used that term punk rock kiss. Maybe, maybe Mabel's Mabel's. Um, in any case, uh, Kenny says, I built a graveyard set complete with smoke machines and lights featuring pillars, a gate, uh, and tombstones beneath a big Misfits logo. This event proved to be pivotal. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you very, very much. I just see Joseph uh, did something here. I don't know if he subscribed or, or, or left a tip or something, but Joseph, we appreciate you. That was on Twitch, I think. Um, Daniel says, thank you. Thank you, Dudley. I appreciate that. Uh, Daniel says, I went to Chiller Theater in the late 90s. Pretty fun. I, I've been to Chiller Theater three, two or three times. One of them was in that year, 2011, when I met Sal B. Again, if you go to the, the, the Patreon preview that's on, anybody can watch that. Uh, it's sort of like a trailer for the Patreon. You can hear about that experience. I won't, I won't get into it, but uh, that's when Bobby Steele got married to the mother chick. In any case, he had built this big set. This event proved to be pivotal. We revealed, uh, hold on, yikes. 
We revealed the return of the misfits to the world and we met Basil Gogos. That's actually where I met Basil as well. I would meet Basil years later there. That's how I got his information. That's how we set up our interview. But at that 1995 chiller, he met Basil Gogos, Elvira, and John Caffiero. John Caffiero um, is a huge factor, name, person, whatever you want to call it, in Misfits world after the year 1995. John Caffiero directed the Dig Up Her Bones music video. I think he directed another music video. He basically became the manager of a manager of things. He he worked very closely with Jerry. He's worked very closely with the Ramones estate as well. He's directed movies for the Insane Clown Posse, which the Misfits make a cameo in called Big Money Hustlers or Big Money Wrestlers, one of those things. And um, and he's still there to this day. I met John Caffiero backstage at the Riot Fest, the Chicago Riot Fest show, the second Misfits uh, reunion show with Jerry. They were both there. Um, and I will say this, you know, uh, some people have have um, have not had uh, positive experience with John Caffiero. But one thing I'm very grateful to John Caffiero for personally is that he did the commentary with Johnny Ramone and Marky Ramone for Ramone's Raw. If anybody knows what Ramone's Raw is, it's all of Marky Ramone's home footage. And it got turned into a movie and it was directed by John Caffiero. Maybe it was directed by Marky Ramone or something. John Caffiero was heavily involved with it. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, um, he, you know, the, the, in the commentary for the thing, they have you have you have Johnny and Marky doing the commentary, and Marky is a very talkative guy, very friendly, extroverted, talkative guy. But Johnny, uh, sorry, Marky is Johnny is just quiet as a church mouse, and thank goodness for John Caffiero being on that commentary because he's the one who gets Johnny talking Johnny, who's no longer alive, by the way. So it's like these stories that would just be lost to time. Had John Caffiero not goaded him into talking, he'd be like, Oh, Johnny, what was, he was just asking questions. He was really, really, I mean, he's a good, he was like interviewing him. He's like, John, so why did you guys do that? Why he's asking and he's forcing Johnny to speak. Whereas Johnny might've just been like, Oh yeah, that was that. That was that blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm actually really grateful to to John Caffiero. And I told him so when I met him, the one time I met him, I said, thank you, because you made the listening to that commentary and you should listen to the commentary. It's a great commentary. So much more enjoyable because he was competent in being able to realize, like, I need to get Johnny to talk. And he found a way to do that. So kudos to him for doing that. Thank you. John Caffiero. So John Caffiero, he is another figure in this misfit story. Uh, this was also where I was introduced to famous music photographer, Frank White, who's the co-author of this book, who introduced us. I don't remember, but the words famous music photographer were used. The first tour by the new misfits was in Europe, and it was a real eye opener. That's what, that was on the green hell bus, if I recall. Um, Many things had changed since the old days. We were no longer a garage band from Lodi. Turnouts were large. Enthusiasm was high. And the band got lots of press. Because here's the thing. What is this band? Remember this thing. Re remember, remember this. Uh, this is important to, to note. This is the band post-Metallica wearing those T-shirts, right? 
It's not Glenn Danzig being like, I hate the misfits. Like, I only want to talk about Danzig stuff, yada, yada, yada. It's it's not um, Bobby Steele performing Bullet and I Turn Into a Martian or whatever, and Rat Fink and whatever else he's playing. This is um, essentially what people are seeing as the second coming of this of this band, despite not having the creative driving force in the band, which is ridiculous in and of itself. I will always say that. I have to say that. I would be remiss, no matter how political it might be, not to say that. I have to say it. It's true, man. It's true. Um, but that's why, I mean, the, the, that's the, 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 you have this big contrast in what's, sort of going on you know and it's because this band had percolated in the underground and now they were somewhat not mainstream but they were like and they were at the they were at, they had pushed to the top of the underground let's say that they were on the the cave ceiling of the underground how about that daniel says super awesome guy talking about john caffiero listen i have to tell you um, he was super duper nice and friendly to me, and we had a wonderful brief conversation. I was very, he was very tickled to hear that I had even listened to that Ramones uh, commentary, as I recalled, and um, was more than happy to talk about it with me. So I thought that was pretty cool of him. Um, so sad that none of the Ramones, original Ramones are with us now. They were always an amazing band life. Yeah, again, that's why having stuff like that, like none of them are around. Here I am listening to Ramones Raw, and instead of just letting the tape run out, whoever was recording the engineer, it's like here's this guy like choding, like like you know, elbowing Johnny Ramone, like, hey, tell me more about this, tell me about this, and we're just getting all this stuff that we wouldn't have gotten. So the Ramones are gone, but the stories live on. Same thing with Monty Melnick, man. I mean, that guy is the keeper of he's the keeper of the stuff. Um, Daniel says, sorry, I met Dave. Oh, Dave Vanian. You met Dave Vanian at Chiller. Yeah, they those. So one thing to 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 note is that the Misfits have always been kind of obsessed with Dave Vanian on some way, shape, or form. Whether it's Glenn writing songs for Dave to sing, or wanting to just like back Dave in some way, or uh, Jerry just fixated on getting Dave to sing for the new version of the band, having having the damned on Fiend Fest. Jerry did a Fiend Fest thing where he had the damn play, and then. And then 40 years, 40 years later, after they opened for the damned and put themselves on the map, the damned are opening for them at Madison Square Garden. Unreal. Unreal when you think about that. Um, where were we? We were no longer a garage band from Lodi. Turnouts were large. Enthusiasm was high. And the band got lots of press. Even with all of the prep that I had done, I was totally out of step with how touring had grown. That tour taught me a great deal. We returned to the States with lessons learned. They had toured in a giant green school bus that they called Green Hell, and they didn't have any heat. It was crazy. Um, so they returned to the States with lessons learned, and things moved quickly. We toured the U.S. We met Michael Alago, who signed us to Geffen Records. So Michael Alago, he, you know, he was a fixture of the punk scene in New York. I mean, Michael Lago has signed a lot of Mike, Michael Lago is associated with Metallica. A bunch of guys, there's a documentary about him by Drew Stone called Who the F is That Guy? And um, he's friends with Glenn and Doyle and Jerry and whatnot. And uh, Michael Lago was also the promoter for the show the one time that the Misfits and the Undead played together. That show was Michael Lago who, who, who booked that show as a promoter. 
And um, there's a whole crazy story behind that, which I have on Bobby talking about on tape. Apparently, it was all recorded on tape, too, Umatic tape. As to who is in possession of that Umatic tape, well, it remains a mystery. Baby, not to me. Funny, funny, muddy mystery. But baby, not to me. In any case, we met Michael Luago, who signed us to Geffen Records. Then the band released American Psycho in 1997. While making two videos for the record, I first became the Crimson Ghost, a role I would proudly reprise many times on stage. So the stage show gets more elaborate, and I'm not going to even try and talk about it. We should let Grim, we should let uh, Tank, John, I don't even know what to call him, Jim. We should let Jim talk about it when he comes back on the show. Let him let him tell us, because he was there and intimately involved in, in that on, on that side of operations. He, he could really tell us. Uh, 1999 brought the second all-new Misfits record, Famous Monsters, featuring cover art by Basil Gogos, based on a photo by Boris Vilejo, two of, two of the greatest artists of our time. I contacted George Romero, and we agreed he would direct the video for Scream if the Misfits could appear in a movie he was directing, and that was called Bruiser. So the Misfits and George Romero, they, 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 they basically tra did a trade. George Romero, who was kind of floundering in, in obscurity to an extent, to an extent, he was um, he was up in Canada. He was beginning his run in Canada where actually where he fin finished his career. You know, he would only make movies for, you know, nine more years after that. His last film was Survival of the Dead, which is such a sad thing to think that that was George Romero's last movie. So, such a bummer. Um, but but he the misfits. The Misfits would appear in Bruiser with Peter Stromare and uh, what's his face? Jason, uh, God, what is his name? Fleming? Um, Robbie asks, do I like Bruiser? Yes, very much. Very much. I think it's a very underrated George Romero film about a dude who loses his face and has to murder people to get it back, kind of. Peter Stromare is a great villain in it. And the Misfits do appear. And the footage that they shot for... The, the 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 live footage that that Romero shot was then cut in for a video for Scream uh, and Tank appears in that video. And that's the whole you've heard the controversy about how like Michael Graves like didn't show up the first day or something. And then he came in, they had to use like a double for him or something like that. Um, Yes, they did have the Max's Xmas shirt. I, I like Bruiser, man. I really do. I really, really do. In any case, yeah, they did a nice trade-off. What a great trade-off. They got to work with George Romero, the legend himself, right? Um, I contacted George Romero, and we agreed that he would direct the video for Scream if the Misfits could appear in a movie he was directing. The zombie makeup for Scream was created by my close friend, Glenn Hetrick, now perhaps the most sought-after special effects man in Hollywood. The Misfits continued to tour the globe, playing many shows with great bands. I didn't take photographs during these years. I was always busy by the side of the stage waiting to fix any problems. I could never match Frank's work anyway. At the start of each year, I mailed a laminate pass and a crew shirt to Frank White so that he could get into any Misfits show during the year. 
He would show up unexpectedly in the weirdest cities and at the weirdest times in countries all over the place. I love Frank's work. If you get a chance, feel free to thank me for making sure this man and his camera got into all of those shows. And um, yeah, he says, I thought Ken, so this is Frank White says this. I thought Ken, the third brother joining the two longtime members of the band and assuming the role of the ghost was really cool. It is. It is really cool. I, I, I agree. So here we go. Here's, here's, this is chap. This is, part two now and um here is this is when doyle was he was not doing the makeup yet right he's doyle now he does this full makeup and doyle's makeup is really good it's really doyle has a very thorough makeup you know he like gets it behind the ears he does like the sunken in face he's he said that lurch is is his inspiration for his modern version of the makeup and you'll see here Jerry is wearing this weird thing with the spikes on his on his the back of his hand. I I think that it's possible that that's that must be left over from the Christ the Conqueror days, right? Um, and this is one of his old bases and his old misfits jacket, um, which he would keep for many. He 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 wore that for a good five years before he ditched that for whatever he was wearing when when for the M twenty five years with Marky Ramon and, and Dez and whatnot. Uh, I'm going to be periodically reminding anybody who is joining us for the first time to please subscribe to the channel. Got a lot of lot of new peeps here. I really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the channel. Thank you. During the black and white glory days of the 1940s and 1950s, this is Frank White, by the way, my mom was a photographer for the department stores and photo studios in New York City. She always had cameras around, and I loved looking at her photo albums of our family. By the way, real quick, I just realized these photos must have been from the time they, this is from the day they met at Chiller Theater in 1995. I think, I think, that's what I think we're looking at here. Um. In any case, by the time I was six or seven in the late 1960s, she began to encourage my interest by projecting her Kodachrome color, color slides on a big screen in our house. I was impressed and inspired, and shortly after, she began allowing me to use her cameras to take photos of sites and people around our neighborhoods in New Milford, New Jersey. That's the same neighborhood where Bobby Steele grew up. I discovered music around the same time, starting with the hippie era bands that played the Woodstock Festival. From there, I got into rock bands, including Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and the Allman Brothers. I ventured into a head shop up the street from me, George's Joint, which had stars and planets painted on the ceiling and, and sold incense, water pipes, cool clothing, and music posters. I came home with underground comic books like the fabulous furry freak brothers furry freak brothers that was saying it's very hard to read guys this this text white on black and white fritz the cat oh no fritz the cat movie made by uh ralph bakshi and mr natural and my mom promptly marched me back to the store to return them ouch yeah this was at cello theater syracuse new jersey april 1995 that's when he met frank white and that's when they all met 
I was using my allowance to buy rock and monster magazines, plastic rat fink and weirdo monster and car model kits and comic books. The back pages of those comics always featured ads for kids to make money selling flour and vegetable seeds. With my parents' help, I started selling seeds door-to-door in my neighborhood. I also started to sell boosters for my baseball teams and candy for the Boy Scouts. Uh, Doing this, I learned skills that came in handy down the road. I listened to music on my parents' radio and my own GE Mickey Mouse and later Sears tie-dye pattern record players. My TV diet was a mixture of cartoons, wacky sitcoms. Chiller Theater, which takes the name Chiller Theater, the convention takes takes the name from the TV show Chiller Theater, Chiller, and watching rock bands on the Ed Sullivan Show, the Midnight Special, and Dan Kirshner's rock concert. I was still too young for concerts, but that was about to change. All right, on to the next page here. Here we go. That's Frank. Here's Frank White with uh, Jerry and Doyle. Uncle Jerry and Cousin Doyle. Okay. Okay. Hold on real quick. Okay, Dan confirms it. Yes to the gloves being in Christ. So those were the Christ gloves that that early. I Yeah, I do think it is. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool picture. <laughs> Dudley says mushrooms and misfits go well together. Freak Brother comics were the best, says Prone. Dudley never knew much of Chud besides the bad, if true. Uh, I have no comment. I will only say that if you if you know, you know, and the information is out there if you want to seek it, allegedly. Um, I like the odd tales from the crypt. I love Tales from the Crypt. Love Tales from the Crypt. The best. The best is the best is the best is the best. All right, let's keep going. We <clears throat> Frank. So here's Frank with Miss Misfits, Jerry and Doyle. Uh, we moved to one town over. We moved one town over to Bergenfield, New Jersey in 1974. Then I started to notice ads in the New York Times and Arts and Leisure section for bands playing in the area. I heard on the radio that Led Zeppelin, one of my favorite bands, would be performing at Madison Square Garden on February 12th, 1975. I already knew the New York City public transportation system, as my mom did not like driving, makes sense, and we would take the trains and buses to see her parents in the Bronx. I hatched a plan. Without my mom knowing, I snuck out one of her cameras into a plastic bag and hid it inside my winter jacket. I told her I was going to a friend's house and that I would be back by midnight. After all, I lived in a safe community. My parents had nothing to worry about. But the bus to New York was just up the street, and I hopped aboard. I was 12 years old at the time. Wow. (laughs) This is a great story. I walked 10 blocks from the Port Authority bus terminal. I know where that is. At 42nd Street to Madison Square Garden, stopping on the way to buy slide film for the camera. At the box office, I bought the closest ticket to the stage available. Imagine that, that you could do that like that. In the 12th row of the orchestra section, as soon as the lights went dark, the show began. I headed right for the front of the stage and started taking photographs. It was very, it was a very overwhelming experience for me. The music was so loud that I had to stuff my ears with small bits of napkins from my pocket. I dodged security guards several times. The stage was too high for me to see over. 
so I had to find a seat a few rows back to shoot the band. Afterward, I ran back to the bus station and made it just and made it home just before midnight, before my parents started to worry about me. You know, I was really scared for that story. I was afraid it was going to like end up being like like oh my my camera got broken or you know uh, stolen or something or something bad happened to me. I'm really glad that that turned out to be that turned out okay. The story turned out okay. That makes me happy. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> when I developed my slides, the results were better than I expected. Thanks to five years of my mom teaching me how to frame photographs, set my exposures right, and hold the camera steady. I wanted to photograph more shows. I was delivering newspapers for money and the tips were good. I could afford the tickets and the film and I began, I became very cunning. I snuck into the city over and over and over again for the next, uh, sorry. Uh, for the next year or so, I learned how to get good concert tickets close to the front of the stage. I went back into the city to photograph other bands like Chicago, Alice Cooper, Rainbow with uh, Dio in it, of course, Black Oak, Arkansas, uh, Robin Trower, Aerosmith and Black Sabbath. In 1977, my father bought me a camera at my request and it was the best gift he ever got me. Why hasn't Frank, I wonder if Frank's put out a, a photo book of all these bands he's seen. Um, my parents noticed that I had a knack for taking good photos and began allowing me to go to shows with their knowledge, putting an end to my secret life. You know, generally those things don't, those stories don't end well. And that, that ended very well. And I'm very happy for Frank that he didn't have so much trouble. You know what I mean? Dealing with that. Soon I started working at a nearby Dunkin' Donuts. With more money in my pocket, I began going to concerts weekly, sometimes straight from school. He sounds like me when I go to the Alamo Draft House. This became my lifestyle as a teenager. I sold my photos to friends in the neighborhood and at school. And so the lifestyle gained momentum. Eventually, friends could not keep up with me, and I ended up often going to shows solo. That is sounds so... Dude, I so I so relate, Frank. I can totally relate. I regularly hung out at the uh, on a strip in my town filled with cool stores like the Camp Record Mill, the Pyramid and Collectors World, a flea market kind of operation where people sold movie posters, records, T-shirts, buttons and other collectibles. Uh, Mark Yadowitz, definitely a Jew who owned again, ju hey, just to let people know, that's something that we do uh, us us jews do we we have to notate when we see another jewish name or a jew and we go oh yeah that guy's definitely it's just the thing that we do nothing wrong nothing wrong being jewish just saying that's what we do yes i cannot imagine my son is six and the idea of him going into the city by himself at 12 is terrifying to me and i can't uh i can't imagine i can't imagine i would just be like i wouldn't i couldn't allow it i don't know uh, that's better than any misfit story. I don't know about that, but it's a very great, like growing up story, you know, like uh, I'm growing up sort of story. I like that a lot. Um, so Mark owned this store, this brother, Kenny, they liked, they liked Frank's photos and asked if I wanted to sell them in his store. I was really surprised that he thought they were so they were good enough for a small fee. I rented two display boxes offering my pictures to the public. The photos sold well. Soon after, a friend of mine struck a deal with some shore attraction owners in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, to start using my photos as boardwalk game prizes. 
if not for the, if not for this store, its owners and a, and a writer, I would soon be meeting. I would soon. Uh, sorry, if it were not for this store, its owners and a writer, I would soon be meeting named Jerry Rubino. I probably would not have pursued a career in music photography. The, that same year, I heard about a punk band from nearby Lodi called the Misfits. Their shows were advertised in our local music paper, the Aquarian Weekly. The band had a horror look that appealed to me, but I never had a chance to photograph them. At the time, I was 15 years old, and the Misfits, dot, 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 played bars that required you to be 18 to enter. So here is the famous photos. We've seen these photos many times of uh, Uncle Jerry, Cousin Doyle, and uh, Aunt Elvira together, who, you know, they had an affinity for Vampira, and now here they are with Elvira sometime later. Uh, true story, I believe... Vampire sued Elvira at one point. Uh, I don't know if somebody told me that here on this channel, but I remember hearing that somewhere. Um, Dudley says it's true. They wanted Peter Steele. He recommended Mikey. Yep. D very, d very different times. Very, very different times. Um, there it is. That's what I thought. Mom says cool parents understood his talent. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, man. I was thinking the same thing. I think about this a lot. Being a dad, I think about this stuff a lot. And I think about like, like just trying to have like my uh, uh, radar, like, like just be aware of what makes my son go like really like, you know, what, what drives him or what he like gravitates towards and just nurture it. I feel like that's the key, man. Don't worry. It doesn't matter what it is. The only thing that should matter I'm just talking about myself and my my son. I'm not talking about this is not parental advice for anybody else. I'm just saying um, whatever, whatever it is, the, the key thing, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's ballet dancing or if it's drawing or if it's fishing or if it's soccer or baseball, the only thing that should matter is the passion. That's the only thing I should care about, I think. As long as he's passionate about something and puts 120% in, I'll be there to support him. And so, yeah, like, I just think that's, I don't know. I just saw that, that, that. That's what I keyed in on when I was reading Frank's story. Just to nurture, nurture interests, man. That's what you should do. Nurture friggin' interests, I think. Dudley says it would have been crazy uh, to have Peter Steele. I think Dudley's behind in the show because he's talking about, yeah. Elvira absolutely ripped off Vampira. Yes, but she did not win Vampire did not win that that lawsuit, I believe. They say it in the Ed Wood movie about Elvira. Huh. All right. Let us talk very briefly about our sponsor, Riotstickers.com. As you can see, this wonderful banner behind me, they make banners. Riotstickers.com is a independent um, print business run by the one, the only Sharpie Riot himself. Um, they 100% independent DIY, uh, very personable. Um, they work with a lot of bands and we're doing a special promotion with them. They, they are sponsors on this channel. And currently if you use the promo code from us, 
you can get 50% off one of the best deals on the internet for stickers. If you need stickers, think about this. Three inches by three inches of real estate for whatever your image is. You can get 50 of those bad boys. Normally, that would cost you $59. And you can go check. I mean, that's that's kind of like that. That's kind of the way it is. But but we're offering it to you with this special promo code of from us for $29.50. And the link for that is in the description below. I also just want to quickly highlight that very soon there is a contest. Some, there's something's happening in riot land with this channel. Um, it's not um, there's there'll be more to say when the time is right. I'm just saying keep your eyes peeled for a big announcement coming up with riotstickers.com. That's all I want to say. Oh, we got to play the video. Got to play the video. And also, I'll take out this moment to also say, please, if you have not already, please subscribe to this channel. Uh, it's a great way to support the channel. Anyway, riotstickers.com. And we are back. Thank you. Riotstickers.com. Check it out. Link in the description. Okay. So back to Frank White. Soon, Jerry Rubino from the local Syracuse Home News asked to use a photo I had taken of Greg Lake from Emerson Lake in Palmer at the Capitol Theater in Passaic. This was great. Encouraged, I decided to start contacting music magazines. I got in contact with Relics Magazine. It was a big magazine. I think they're still around Relics. That was kind of like a jam band magazine, hippie magazine. And they ran a full-page photo of my of mine of Jorma Koknen Co- from Hot Tuna in the November 1982 issue. I started to sell photos to other music magazines, including Guitar World, Rock Fever, Rock World, uh, Kick-Ass, Cream, Circus, Hit Parader, Rock Scene, and Kerrang. During this period, the original Misfits disbanded. I thought I had missed my opportunity to photograph them. However, within a few years, within a few years, I received an assignment to photograph Glenn Danzig's post-Misfits band Samhain in July 1986 at the Ritz in New York. What Now, why is that show significant? That is the final original Samhain show before the, the, the 1999 reformation. That was Damien's last live show and London May's last live show with Samhain. 
that show, or at least at that time, London would come back in 1999. That show was completely crazy. Glenn was right in my face the whole night and the crowd was in frenzy mode. I got some cool photos of what turned out to be Sam Haynes last show. Almost two years later, Glenn called to ask me to photograph his new band Danzig with Glenn singing, Erie Vaughn on bass, John Christ on guitar, and Chuck Biscuits on drums. I was to meet them in Lodi, New Jersey and photograph them near Route 80, a major highway full of busy traffic. I found some dead-looking trees and weeds and started taking photos, and then we moved to locations, and then we moved locations to a Lodi church that Glenn thought would look interesting. A few days later, Glenn asked if I could photograph Danzig's first show on April 9th, 1988 at City Gardens in Trenton. I did another photo session backstage with the band that night. Fast forward seven years to April 1995 and and that year's installment of the annual New Jersey Horror Convention Chiller Theater Expo named after the old WPIX TV monster movie program. Now, WPIX would continue to do all sorts of horror movies. They just stopped using the Chiller Theater banner. I grew up on WPIX Channel 11 horror movies, just not in the same kind of way. Uh, Gary, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, the, the, The Less Than Jake Guy song is growing on you. That's cool. Alan says, I'm not going to read that out loud, but <laughs> I, I, I totally, I totally understand Alan. I totally get it. I totally, totally get it. Hello, 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 hello. Okay. Let's get back to this. So, so fast forward to the blah, 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 WPIX monster movie program. The event was the brainchild of my old friend, Kevin Clem- Clement, uh, who had sold records to me for, uh, who had sold records to me years earlier from a booth at Collector's World in Bergenfield. He invited me to come take photos during the three day event. Now, Kevin had a band called the Dead Elvi that would always play with Bobby Steele uh, in later years later years of the, I said late years, later years of the, of the chiller convention. Um, so he knew that they would be published. Kevin knew that they would be published nationally and would help spread the word about the expo along with many iconic horror movie and TV stars making appearances and signing autographs. I was happy to see that local punk legends, Jerry only and Doyle from the misfits would be guests. I made plans to meet them. The day of the expo, the first people I encountered at the Hilton Hotel were the two brothers, Jerry and Doyle, both in full makeup, standing in full stage regalia in front of a big gray styrofoam castle wall with black gates and a big Misfits logo, which is just so is that's just so Jerry, Jerry only, man. Like <laughs> Uncle Jerry for the kids. We do it for the kids. Uh, I had wanted to photograph. Uh, <laughs> this is my first sign. This is my first sight in the flesh of the two guys I had wanted to photograph for 15 years. I was impressed, and even more so when I learned that the sets and costumes had been built by themselves and their brother Ken Kayafa. I introduced myself and found everyone to be friendly. I asked Ken to shoot a photo of us together with my camera. I shot several photos of Ken, Doyle, and Jerry, and some friends. I let them know I was very interested in working with them. Later that day, with the help of uh, Eddie Micah from the Chiller Expo, I arranged 
for TV horror hostess Elvira to pose for photos with Jerry and Doyle and a giant Misfits horror magazine cover mock-up. The photo ended up in Thrasher, the skateboard magazine. Jerry, Doyle, and Ken were happy when the photo was published. Thrasher was the perfect setting for the first new Misfits photo seen anywhere since the early 1980s. That October, they invited me to photograph them at a Halloween haunted corn maze and hayride in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Uh, there, I met a guy sporting a devil lock and dressed similarly to them. They were intro they introduced him as their new drummer, Dr. Chud, and they announced that they were restarting the Misfits. I shot some photos of the three, and later that month I photographed the band in, at the chance in Poughkeepsie, New York, with Michael Graves, their new 21-year-old lead singer from Dumont, New Jersey. Um, you know what's funny? And I I don't know, this is just an inkling that I have. I don't, I have no, I have no um knowledge of this well wait a minute this is kind of cool check this out rare exclusive i'm looking at the magazine right here it's a static age tv casualty so it has all the names of the songs teenagers from mars bullet huh famous misfits of music land that's a cool mock-up i wonder where that is now there's all the names of the songs um here's here's a photo of of danzig i think that's at the first danzig show Right. Let's see. Yeah, that's the first. Oh, no. OK, that's that's the first New York City solo show uh, at the Ritz in 1988. Not the first band show, which was in April uh, in, in New Jersey, in New Jersey. Uh, OK, before we get to here, I just want to take a quick note. I just like, you know, talking about like the haunted corn maze, you know, in Wood Wood Lake. New Jersey. I just get the feeling like, you know, obviously Jerry and Doyle are both into doing this, but obviously it's Jerry. Jerry is the driving force. He's always been the driving force after Glenn was no longer involved. It was always Jerry was like the, the main driving force. And I just got like this, like, um, like just imagining in my head of like Jerry being like, come on, Doyle, we got to go. We got to go to the haunted maze. We got to go to the <laughs> and Doyle's just like doesn't want to go. Like that should just be its own comic strip or like cartoon of like Doyle reluctantly going, gotta go to the fucking maze now. Like, and Jerry's like, come on for the kids. We'll we'll take pictures at the maze. You know, just like that sort of thing. Like I just get like, you know, it's, they, they go, they go, they have to like go make all these appearances. Like they, like the local haunted car wash. Like it's like Halloween and they have to like open, they they do the ribbon cutting ceremony for a car wash. Cause Jerry's like, Hey, publicity, it's good. Ha. You know? And like, and Doyle's just kind of like, Oh, all right, Jerry, whatever you want. That sort of thing. I just get that kind of like inkling when I see some of those, some of those photos. Nah, I don't know. I don't know. In any case, barely three months later in February of 1996, Jerry asked me to shoot the misfits for first full photo session with graves. I jumped at the chance. They asked me to meet them at their barn in Warwick, New York, right over the border from Vernon, New Jersey. The band lived in, yeah, they, so in 1982, 1983, the Kaiafa family, the Kaiafa, you know, clan packed up and moved from Lodi, New Jersey to Vernon, New Jersey, where they had the Pro Edge factory. And they just um, that's where I mean, that's where they still are to this day. So that's where they're situated 
Uh, they all live up there and, or at least they were based out of there. And, you know, I, I know Do- Doyle, I think Jerry moved to Chicago for a while. I think Doyle was in um, Las Vegas for a time, but I think they've always, Vernon has always been some sort of home base for those guys. Always been a, a destination, that sort of thing. Um, and that's where their dad had moved that, that factory and whatnot. And then the other side of that is Warwick. So I'm in Westchester. If you cross the Tappan Zee bridge to the other side, that's Nyack and you keep going and you're, you're basically bordering with Northern Jersey. Uh, if you want to go to Bergen County, you would go south across the George Washington Bridge and you'd be there. I believe Lodi is something like 10 minutes commute uh, to to Manhattan from from it is essentially its own suburb of New York City, despite being in another state. In any case, they asked Frank to meet them at the barn at their barn in Warwick, New Jersey, right over the border from Vernon, New Jersey. Sorry, Warwick, New York, right over the border from Vernon, New Jersey. The band lived in the area and ran their operation out of a motorcycle shop located in the back part of the same building as their father's machine shop, Pro Edge. From the outside, the Warwick barn appeared to be part of a normal farm compound for uh, from about 100 years ago. Inside, the place was like a stone castle. The Kayafa brothers are very artistic, and they had customized their surroundings to fit their vision. Photographing the band there was like being on a horror movie set. In fact, they had designed the location for a TV show where the Misfits would introduce and discuss classic horror and sci-fi movies. And we've seen some of that on YouTube. We've, matter of fact, I've been wanting to cover that on the show for a long time. The, uh, the Crawling Eye, The Hideous Sun Demon, and Horror Hotel. Something like that. Robbie says less than 10 miles, but 40 minutes minimum because of traffic. There you go. Robbie lives right next to Lodi, not to reveal Robbie's secret location. Robbie is a, a, a native of the area. We'll just we'll just say that. How about that? Oh, no, I need that in my life. Scooby-Doo misfits. Yes, I think we all do. I think we all do. So, yeah, they had they had an idea. They were going to be like, hey, we're going to be just like Elvira or Zachary or whoever and, and do this. And you you once again, going back to Jerry, like, come on, let's go do the corn maze. It's like, come on, Doyle, let's do this. Let's, you know, and Doyle's being forced to say this dialogue about hideous sun demons, you know, <laughs> poor Doyle. And Jerry's like, you know, super enthusiastic yeah, for the kids. You know, he's like over the top about it. Um. So in any case, he arrived to find everything that he needed. Cobwebs all around, rusty chains on wooden poles, a huge table with skulls, of course. Uh, And uh, some with giant fangs and impressive candelabra mounted metal tubes on the wall, shooting flames. Wow. Uh, And an electric chair for good measure. We were in horror heaven. I set up my lights and started taking crazy looking photos. I shot everything on a color slide film for magazines, and we converted some of the photos into black and whites for promotional photos. In May of 1997, the revived Misfits released American Psycho, the band's first new record since 1983's Earth AD Wolf's Blood. The package included a few photos of mine 
from live shows at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City and The Chance in Poughkeepsie. A live photo of mine of Doyle from The Chance was used for an advertisement uh, album flat with the American Psycho cover on one side and the Doyle photo on the other. It was exciting to be a part of shaping the visual side of the band's return since the Misfits hadn't been seen since October of 1983. I soon returned to the Warwick Barn to shoot production stills as the band filmed its first music video, Dig Up Her Bones. Oh, I did not realize that. So that's where that was done, was at that barn. They shot the clip at night in the field behind their barn. When I arrived, and that was directed by John Caffiero, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, When I arrived, the entire area looked like the site of a Martian ship landing. I couldn't see anything but purple, yellow, green, and red lights with smoke billowing from the tall grass. I stumbled a bit in the darkness. I'm lucky I didn't break any bones or my camera equipment. Arriving at the set, I found Dr. Chud's drum set in the grass in the weeds, surrounded by styrofoam stone castle pillars with gargoyles on top, scattered tombstones, a very angry-looking fake monster tree, and a hanging fiend way sign with a pointing skeleton arm. We've seen that in the music video, of course. Michael was filmed amongst the tomb show. Michael was filmed amongst the tombstones, shoveling dirt into the air as Jerry pounded on his base. The video shoot went well into the night, and it was one of the wildest shoots I have ever done. Also in this video, Ken Kaiafa introduced his creepy crimson ghost costume, which brought to life the persona of the band. His character added something extra and scary to the live show too, as he would creep around the stage with a torch, coaxing the crowd into a frenzy. By the late 1990s, and eventually Tank, Jim, he would come on stage as a Frankenstein. He, he became Frankenstein's monster, that sort of thing. Um. <laughs> Uh, by the late 1990s, the Misfits had polished their theatrical side, making for a more entertaining experience than just the average punk show. You know, it's funny. When I used to interview people for this Misfits project, I would always ask them the question, were the Misfits a theatrical band? And you know what? The answer was always somewhat like yes or yeah. But it, they weren't really that. I mean, in 1979, they were when they were doing the coffins. But the hardcore version of the Misfits weren't that theatrical. The Misfits became very theatrical in 1995, 1996. That's when the band started to become more theatrical. The stage presentation was totally like this whole it was this whole thing with, you know, with the Crimson Ghost or having Frankenstein and, you know, Dr. Chud crawling out from underneath the drum riser or um, uh, Graves coming out in a straitjacket. That whole thing, you know, Um. Doyle applied more facial makeup over time to really give himself a skeletal face appearance, right? It evolved. He and brother Jerry continued working, working out to keep up that imposing physical appearance and their spikes grew bigger and sharper. It's like, they really was, it was like an evolution, man. Likewise, Michael Graves changed his look often adding full skull makeup, Uh, wrapping black tape around his hands and limbs and mixing it up and jumping into the crowd whenever he could. Now, mind you, Michael Graves eventually moved away from the Devil Lock for, I don't know, probably a few different reasons, I would imagine. But one of them 
was that he, you know, being a, a 21 year old kid who's not molding into what Jerry wants him to be and sort of rebelling, rebelling against the other guys, uh, much to Jerry's dismay. Jerry did not like Graves, you know, bleaching, bleaching his hair and whatnot, stuff like that. Um, in any case, during his years playing drums from 1995 to 2000, newcomer Dr. Chud would crawl out from under the drum riser, uh, breaking out of his cage with the help of the Crimson Ghost. The band also introduced a gigantic TV screen on stage that showed old horror movies while they played. The Misfits gave me a permanent all-access lamp. They, they gave me permanent all-access laminates and crew shirts. And I took advantage of the status to shoot the band from all angles. I showed up wherever I could at different gigs around the U.S. and Europe. That's really cool. It is really cool. And it's really cool that that um, Jerry and Kenny and whoever, John Caffier, whoever was in charge of that, gave, gave Frank White so much access. And as a result, you have all these awesome photos, right? Look at these shots. Oh, my God. I've never. By the way, guys, I am seeing this for the first time with you. I may have seen some of these shots in the past, but like the ones we saw earlier with Elvira, I've never seen these shots. Look at Chud there. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. With no makeup and eyebrows. You see Doyle with eyebrows. So weird. And his devil lock is a lot more awkward looking than it is now. Um, top Dawn of the Living Misfits Halloween Festival. So that was the corn maze at Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey, October, 1995. So, Chud is in the band now, but Jerry is not, but uh, Michael Graves is not officially in the band yet. East Coast comeback may, oh no, he is, right. October 1995 is when Graves finally comes in the band. But Graves had been auditioning for them for over a year, going back to, you know, at some point in 1994, uh, I believe. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mom says, Yes, the theatrical aspect was really elevated in the late 90s. I think that really brought in a new audience. Totally. Totally, totally, totally. Probably helped with the guarantees as well. Um, Alan says, thank you so much for showing this book. I really need it. Again, I just to be aware, if this book was available for purchase, we would not be showing it. You would go out and buy the book and support you know, Ken and Frank. You cannot do that. This book is not allowed to be sold commercially it has been blocked and so because it's been blocked we are just looking at the book and reviewing it and just sort of going over it um and yeah robbie bloodshed seems to have mispronounced dr chud's name he calls him what is that word cho cho chodies chodies Oh, you mean Chode. Chode. He looks so small compared to the brothers. He is. Um, Chud is really small, really, really short. And you know, it's funny. The last time I was with Dr. Chud and I told you my whole story, I was at his girlfriend's house. He lives, he lives at his girlfriend's house and he has like this weight room where he like lifts weights and stuff. And there are these pictures of him, but they're like, these like illustrated like coloring photo pictures of him. And I guess he keeps hangs them up for inspiration. And Chud is in great shape for his age. I mean, Chud's, you know, in his fifties, 
he's like in 57, 58 years old. He's in phenomenal. He's in better shape than I am. He's in much better shape than I am. I'm 36. So, you know, I'm not really one to talk, but it, it was interesting. But Chud is a small guy. He's a short guy. He's not a tall guy at all. I, I'd say, God, he must be five, eight, five, seven, something like that. He's not, not a very tall guy. Uh, so that makes sense for sure. Um, but Hey, again, to call a spade a spade, dude, dude, uh, dude takes good care of himself, at least, you know, physically, like, you know, he, uh, he does work out at least he did when I, last time I was with him, um, (laughs) you're learning a lot today. Oh, there's so much more to learn if you wanted to. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is a, this is a channel where you learn things. (laughs) Chodies. What's a chody? Who would win in a fight, Chud or Gary Glitter? <laughs> oh, that's a good that's a good comparison there. I don't know, I don't know. It depends on. Uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't say what I'm going to say. All right, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say. It. I'm not going to go there. You know where to look if you want to know more about this on my channel. There's a whole video about it. I'm not going to do it there. Small. Smaller than that, you're cutting too much slack. No, come on. He's about five seven. He's about five seven, maybe five eight, something like that. Hey, listen, Doctor Chode is thicker than he is taller. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey! You know what they say? Don't punch down. You should only punch up. Sorry, Chud. <laughs> Hi, Chud. In case he watches this later. Hi, Chad. Sorry. Sorry, we're talking too much about Chad. Let's let it go. Let's stop. Let's stop now. We're, we're, we're talking about history. Um, in any case, in any case, where were we? Where were we? Above all, I tried to... Wait, wait, wait. The Misfits... Oh God, I, I already lost my place because we were, we, were, we were punching down on Chad, which was wrong. Let's stop. As always... In the summer of 1999, I was su- I surprised the band by showing up at With Full Force Festival in Labnitz, Germany. That was my first photo assignment on an active airfield with planes taking off and landing during a music festival. As always, Jerry Only was so comfortable with his surroundings, he would just walk out into the crowd and have a good time with fans because Jerry is like the greatest extrovert that ever existed. There's nobody more approachable. Like he is super easy to talk to, super approachable in that kind of way. The Misfits of the 1990s made a name for themselves uh, independent of their classic legacy. As long as Jerry Only and Doyle remained at the core of the band, the fans seemed to accept whatever newcomers joined them. I don't know if that's entirely true. I mean, Graves got a lot. I mean, Graves really, really, really got uh, crapped on at the beginning. I don't think Chud did as much. I think Chud was more accepted than Graves. And, you know, rightfully, I mean, Graves had a bullseye on him because he was, you know, essentially, you know, at least by Jerry and what by what Jerry and Doyle were advertising, he was filling trying to fill Glenn Danzig's shoes. You know, um, not easy to do. Not easy to do at all. Um. The misfits of the 1990s made right. Uh, as blah, 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 blah. at every show around the world, I always saw a packed house. They already had a plan in their heads for what they wanted to do. 
I would go along with their concepts. Above all, I tried to photograph them always in makeup. I didn't want to ruin it for the fans to show them in their street clothes and no ghoul gear. I did a few sessions with Jerry at both of his homes in Vernon, New Jersey. The first was in the basement of his earlier house, surrounded by gym equipment, monster masks, and what was ever lying around the room. I actually helped him move into the next house, carrying endless boxes of horror memorabilia. Metal Hammer Magazine in England had asked me to do a photo session with him, relaxing at home. I shot some photos of him mugging with his with giant toy soldier Christmas decorations, wearing a Santa hat, and capturing him in front of his fireplace with his dogs and his collection of famous monsters of Filmland magazines, all in full makeup and costume, of course. The closest we got to breaking character were a few photos of him with his acoustic guitars. I shot a couple of misfit shows during 2000, both in New Jersey, the Birch Hill nightclub uh, in Old Bridge on August 12th and the rec room in Wallington on September 26th. The rec room was a very local show just a few blocks away from Lodi, the original hometown of the misfits that turned out to be the last show for Michael Graves this time for good. Huh? Wait, what? All right. That doesn't make any sense. The rec room was a very local show just a few blocks away from Lodi, the original hometown of the Misfits. That turned out to be the last show for Michael Graves. Is he talking about in 1998 when Michael left? You know, Michael Graves left the first time in 1998. I don't even I don't I don't even know the full. I don't even know the full history. I have to we're going to have to ask Tank what happened when Michael Graves left the band. I don't remember. I, we, I've heard from the hit, Mike Hideous documentary that he wanted to go to hockey camp or something, but I don't even know what, if that was the full, I, I don't know what this is in reference to. Um, hold on real, real quick. <laughs> Bro. Uh, Robbie wants me to do the, 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 the chud, the chud impression, which is really, this is me copying Loki. <laughs> hey, Bro. Bro, bro, this is my understanding. He's just like, oh, oh, okay, okay. But then, but, but, but when, uh, when Carlos, when Loki does it, he goes, <laughs> he does the shoulder thing, which I think is so funny. <laughs> hey, bro, um, it's pretty funny. It is, it's a very cool book. I like this book a lot, probably because the misfits went through so many drummers. Yes, they did. Oh, as to why people embrace Chud. Yeah, pro- yes, that's a great uh, observation, Neonese. Great observation. I, I do concur. So hold on. So this was the last show for Michael Graves, this time for good. Michael had fit just right as a band member. Hold on. This is interesting. With great singing ability and his constant motion on the stage. He always engaged the fans. Plus, he was a really nice guy to be around. The next misfit to leave was Dr. Chud toward the end of October of 2000. Now, I'm a little confused here. Didn't I guess you know what? I guess Michael Graves left even earlier than that final time of October 2000. We're going to have to get the facts straight. I mean, this is interesting. I never heard. Does anybody know this, that Michael that Michael Graves left uh, earlier than October of 2000? Um, Chud left in October of 2000, never came back. The three of them walked off stage. Uh Doyle, Chud, and Michael Graves walked off stage and left Jerry to do 138 by himself. 
On November 26th, I shot the Misfits at uh, Tracadero in Philadelphia with Jerry only on bass, Doyle on guitar, and Renfield on drums. I don't know much about Renfield, or uh, I know they had Zoli from Ignite singing on vocals, and then this guy Renfield. I really don't know too much about him. Uh, The packed crowd loved the show, and Jerry jumped backward off the side balcony into the audience. Regardless, I missed the two band members that had come to call friends during the previous five years. After 2001, I felt like the Misfits started to separate again. Yeah, no, duh. They weren't the same group of members that I had photographed so many times in the previous six years. I started to hang back a little, just going to a show here and there. In 2002, I did just one photo session with Jerry at the Roseland Ballroom in New York. The last time I photographed the Misfits live was the HFS Festival at the Merriweather Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. Only three members were on stage, Jerry only playing bass and singing, Uncle Dez on guitar, and Robo returning on drums after going back and forth with the Misfits during the 1980s. My photos were the band's all-purpose promo shots during the late 90s. Besides a Halloween card shoot with a pinup girl, Helen Blazes, right? They had that cartoon character, Helen Blazes. Some of my live photos were made into Misfits baseball cards. My photos of Jerry and Doyle are on the sides of their toy boxes, and another photo became a poster. To me, the Misfits was always. To me, the Misfits will always be special. Their horror imagery and their interactive physicality of their great performances always generated a lot of excitement and action in my photographs. I happened to capture some of that simply because they allowed me to do whatever I wanted. They didn't impose any limits. As a result, I got some of my best work. I'm always proud to say I was a Misfits photographer. That was, I I really want to thank Frank White and Kenny Kayafa for doing this and putting this book together. And I wish if there is a way to support them, I don't know if they have a, a PayPal or something, you should. You should support them because they're awesome. So here we go. Now we're going into the, 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 the we're going to get through the rest of this book real fast because these are just photos now. Mostly, I think. Um, here are some of the first full band photos. There's Michael Graves. With his de- Michael Graves had a great devil lock. He did. He had a good here. I'm going to make myself smaller here. He had a great devil lock. Doyle Doyle's looking great there. Real, real classic Doyle. This, of course, this photo here was used on the American Psycho, the back of the American Psycho album. And Jerry always knows how to mug for a camera. Here's a oh, these are great shots. Uh, Graves' devil lock looks really great. They really had the devil locks down at the time. Although Chud looks so out of place with his depth, like his hair like that. That's because Chud, you know, and, you know, maybe maybe Graves to a, a lesser extent, because Graves wasn't really like this. You know, th- this is really, I mean, Jerry and Doyle, like, sort of live this stuff. And these guys just, you know, they come in and they, they, they came in to play a part. And they played the part well. You know, they did their thing. <laughs> Look at Chud with those glasses. Because I think Chud wears glasses and those he's wearing these sunglasses on top because he's kind of blind without his glasses on. As I recall, I could be wrong. So this is inside that barn. This is that set that they built. Great looking set. This is a great photo. This is a great photo of the band. Um, 
Let's see. Let's see here. Okay, so here is At Home with Jerry Only, September 1996. Look at all that stuff. This Island Earth right there. Summer Tour. I love Jerry's boots at this time, man. Whatever, However he made those boots. Here's Jerry with his dog reading Thrasher. Surrounded by stuff. Look, there's the Monster Movie Club right behind there. That from the old, back in the day. There's a little Beavis and Butthead um, sticker. That was the Monster Movie Club that they were, that they were uh, a part of. I um, feel like you could have a really, really good conversation with Jerry just talking about horror movies. You know? Um, hold on. I'm going back over. <laughs> hey, bro. Right. I sound more like Edward G. Robinson. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Bro, bro. Uh, that's I'm I'm rusty, man. I gotta hear I gotta hear Loki to recharge my batteries. Love the impressions. Hilarious. Thank you. Thank you, Walter White from New Zealand. Uh, I'm talking to a woman who looks like Elvira. That's nice. You guys have had this. Okay, Neon Knees and Walter White have both discussed how they're both from New, New, New Zealand in our comments before. You guys need to meet up and, and have, If I hope you guys live near each other. You guys got to meet up for a coffee and hang out. I'm, 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 I'm putting you two together. Go, go hang out. Go to a show together or something. New Zealand's a pretty small place, right? I'm sure you guys must be close. <laughs> I have no clue. Oh yeah, good point. Crud looks like Corey Feldman in these in those pictures above. I agree, man. Crazy eyes like from Mr. Deeds. Uh, maybe. In any case, I like I really really like uh Jerry's look here. I love seeing all the stuff in his house. It's so cool. What's this little thing right here? I, oh, there's a Cyclops. I wonder if those are uh, Misfits lyrics down uh, there that for for the box set. Okay, here this is the photo I have on the thumbnail. I thought this is such a great photo. Here's him with his two monster masks and him with his his bases, the resin cyclops. It's such a cool headstock, the resin cyclops. Really, really cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Jerry is a motorcycle, and there's the Misfits drum drummers and stuff, drum stuff. Oh, yeah. You do know not. Okay. I just want to apologize because I had no idea how big New Zealand is. Apparently, New Zealand would stretch from Maine to Miami. That is pretty friggin' long. I feel like a fool. I appreciate the information. And Nigel, uh, who does the Lodi theme for the podcast, uh, I'm glad that you know him uh, from from uh, Horror Story, and he's in, he's in a ton of bands. He's been on this show, in fact, um, through recording. Hamilton, oh, please tell me you guys live near each other. That would be and Wellington. That's a wait seven. Oh man, it's a seven hour drive. That's a bummer. How cool would that be if you guys like lived an hour away from each other? It'd be like so funny. Um. Corey Feldman is still with us, correct? Of course he is. Of course he is. Yes, Robbie, as Robbie says, he did just release the Comeback Kid. Um, you absolutely need to look him up. Yeah, I agree. These are really great pictures of Uncle Jerry. I love seeing him on this motorcycle. This is cool. 
Jerry, Jerry's the type of guy you, you could probably take pictures. He'd take pictures three hours. He would just pose in, in front of a camera. Um, just because he likes doing it. He just loves he loves this stuff, dude. And I love that he loves this stuff. So here they are in the American Psycho Tour, the Irving Plaza in New York City. Great venue. You know, the one thing about Chud that Chud has always suffered from with this kit, he built this large, this cartoonishly large kit. You never see Chud in any pictures. You never see him in any videos. You never see him in any pictures. You only can see the the, the drum set. This crazy, crazy drum set, which I'm sure he thought was great at the time, but historically now you never see Chud. It's hard to see Chud in in live, in live sort of situations. Um, it is a cool drum kit. Look how big that bass drum, the bass drum is right here, and this drum. Those are overextended, um, custom made spikes. Um, it's nuts. Oh, you're you're a fan of Corey Feldman? That's great. Millennium. He had a song called about the millennium or something. Millennium. Yes, Corey Feldman's Michael Jackson phase never ended. He has a his 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 voice is very influenced by by Michael Jackson in like the best way ever. I'm like actually really impressed. Jim is here. Jim, supporter of the channel. Jim is here. What's up, Jim? He says Jerry on the motorcycle looks like Wes Wes from Road Warrior. Speaking of Wes from Road Warrior, I am going to be conducting Q&As with Wes from Road Warrior for the It's a Mad, 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 Mad Max movie, drive-in movie theater-a-thon at the Mahoney Drive-In, you know, where Joe Bob Briggs does his, his, his show from Monster Vision. Well, they're showing all four Mad Max films, drive-in drive, drive style, and I'm going to be conducting Q and A's with Vernon Wells, AKA Wes from road warrior. So you must come and check that out. If you are available to do so at its widest, it's five hour drive. I had no idea. I'm like, feel so stupid. I just thought New Zealand was such a small Island, but I mean, stretching from Miami to Thor uh, from Maine to Miami is crazy. It's really crazy. Thank you. Crazy white boy. He says, happy two year. Thank you so much. Xander's in the house. He says, Corey's singing. I just can't keep thinking of Donnie from, T I just can't keep thinking of Donnie from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's right. He did the voice for Donatello from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Pretty, pretty great. Um, I can't wait either, man. I can't wait either. I'm excited to, to, to meet him and talk to him. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to try. If someone's not recording it, I'll make sure I, re I record it for the channel. Definitely going to have that for the channel. Let's let's keep getting through this, guys, because um, it's 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 getting late. We're, we're almost we're OK. We're not almost through. we're about a quarter through. But again, pictures. So here's some live pictures of them playing live and whatnot. Here is. So here's Graves. You know, Graves uh, got these. Um, look, that's a tattoo of like the stitches. He used to do, I guess he used to do it as makeup, and then he got permanent tattoos of the stitches um, and whatnot. Here's some cool shots of Doyle. You know, it's been a very long time since I've listened to the Misfits in the 90s, like like uh, just anything. I really need to go back and listen to them. I just want to hear Doyle's uh, Doyle by himself without another guitar player playing Misfit songs, hear what it sounds like. I feel like I have not. 
uh, a rare photo of uh, Dr. Chud from behind the kit and um, Doyle and Michael Graves. And from my understanding, Doyle wasn't at first Doyle was, was, was very skeptical of Graves. And then eventually they grew to become very close. They grew to be friendly, but it wasn't always that way. It didn't always start that way. Um, there's far more people who could speak to that than me. So here's the dig up the vote, dig up her bones night shoot at the barn in Warwick, New New York. That's July 1997, and this is when Graves is doing the Baron. Some what is it? Uh, Benjamin Samanti, whatever that thing is. You know the 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 voodoo, the sort of doing the voodoo thing with the, he's got the top hat and the the skeleton makeup. Which it's a very cool look. It's a cool look. It's based on. I mean, listen, Glenn was doing the skeleton makeup all the way back in 1979. But you know, if you're gonna have like a, a guy, you know, uh, replace him, you might as well have someone do some sort of makeup vibe that will look cool. And I will say it's a cool looking makeup thing. Look how young Doyle is here. I mean, Doyle's in his early 30s at this time. It's weird to think he was there for the punk, you know, the punk stuff back in the day. And now, you know, uh, he's barely, I mean, he's not even in his 40s yet. And he's like already reforming the Misfits. And just interesting to me. Uh, this is a cool photograph. Really, really like the colors. Um, like this photograph a lot. Yeah, Baron Samadhi, Sim Um, They did a whole whole thing about him in uh, American Horror Story as well. Can't stop hiccuping. I can't stop hiccuping. American Nightmare is actually pretty good. Uh, listen to Doomsday and the Carol Ann tune. You mean American Psycho is actually pretty. Yeah, dude. We we mentioned that. Or I mentioned that earlier. No matter what, I'm not gonna can't knock that album i do like that album there's no, no, nothing against the album um despite everything i think i recall a video not sure how i describe it uncomfortable um hate the living love the dead uh, that's a chud song and it's a great chud song i like that song a lot a lot. I would sing to it right now if it was playing. Hate the living, love the dead. Smashing embryos, cut off heads. Papa Legba in, in American Horror Story Coven. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you for the, the correction. So this is the Scooby-Doo that, that everybody's talking about, that sort of thing. Oh, look, here's... Here's Kenny and Dr. Chud. I've never seen that photograph. I've never seen either one of these photographs before. Wow. Look at these. These are really cool. Here, I'm going to make myself smaller so the photographs are bigger. Just one second. Cool. I like these a lot. Graves looks great here. And you know what kills me? If, if these guys had just, you know, they still would have gotten crap for looking like the Misfits, but if they had just called themselves another name, it would just be the coolest band in the world. I mean, it'd be so much cooler than it is. It's just, it just, it, 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 it hurts them. And yet, you know, at the same time, at the same time, it would, we can't deny what they did for the Misfits brand or whatever you want to call it keeping the misfits flame alive, whether it was creating uh, diluting the brand or creating brand confusion, if you will, it, it was, you know, 
we have to give I have to give more credit to Jerry than perhaps people want to give him credit for in that way. You know, it's true. It really is true. You can't deny it. It cannot be denied. These are great photos of these guys. Look at them with the cobwebs and the chains. Love it. Love it. Great stuff. I just hate calling it the misfits. I don't like that. Great shot of graves here. Look at that. Wow. Great dude. Okay. I mean, that's a great shot of Chud. That's a great shot of graves. And those are great shots of Jerry and Doyle. Fantastic. Frank White is a quite is a great, great photographer, man. I really like his stuff. That is a fantastic photo. Never seen that photo before. You take a look. You can really see how Jerry does his hair. He grows it out in the back here, combs it up to the front, uses lots and lots of hairspray. It really does have, there really is such a greaser aspect to the devil lock, you know? Totally a unique look. It cannot be denied. Another great shot. Okay, that not such a great shot of Chud, but this is a great shot of Graves. It's a shame that Graves doesn't like have Frank. You know, it's it's a shame that why isn't Graves like license any of these photos from Frank White? Maybe Jerry doesn't allow it or something. These are great, man. I would put all these photos on T-shirts, man. I mean, it's crazy not to have to crazy, crazy that he doesn't do that. Um, what other songs did Chud write? I don't remember. I think he wrote The Hunger. Um, Traded in my bubble for a little black cat. No, that's, is that from Hell They Came? Um, speak, no, that's Speak of the Devil. He wrote Speak of the Devil. He wrote The Hunger and he wrote Hate the Living, Love the Dead. I think, I think, don't quote me on that. Um, all great songs. I love Speak of the Devil. I love The Hunger. And I love Hate the Living, Love the Dead. If I had three songs from the 95 Fits, it would be Saturday Night, Bruiser, and Descending Angel. Hmm. Huh. Uh, Misfits Graves era was pretty cool. Just weird without Danzig, but cool. But, like, that's the problem, is that you call it Misfits Graves era. It's just not, I mean... The Misfits, you need Glenn Danzig for it to be the Misfits, man. Like, that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line. No matter how fun we think this is, it's all Scooby-Doo fun, but it's not. I mean, they just should have changed the name, man. Suppose they had changed the name. Would they still have kept the Devil Ox, though? I'm sure they would. And if they changed the name and kept the Devil Ox, totally would have been fine. Totally would have worked. Totally would have made sense. You're just not using the same name. That's the bottom line. And they here's the thing, though. Ultimately, why do they use the same name? Why do they have to use the same name? Because of the guarantees, man. Because of what the Misfits is worth something. The, the brand, the branding of the Misfits in the 90s is worth something. Because it's been through the mill with Metallica. Metallica's wearing Misfits on their shirts. When they call themselves the Misfits, they are tying themselves into Metallica. You know what I'm saying? So of course you have to, of course you have to use the name or that you would want to use the name. Doesn't mean that it's right. And from a fan perspective, it was 
a, a terrible idea. It was an idea, an idea that many, many fans have rejected. Some fans have embraced it and many fans have rejected it. They told, they told Rue, you're so right. They totally could have called themselves the devil ox and it would have been fine. It would have been fine, dude. It just totally would have worked. We're the devil ox. He could have called himself Jerry De- devil ox, Doyle devil ox. Mikey Devilock and uh, Dr. Devilock. I mean, everybody would have eaten that up. That Nobody would have had a problem with the name the Devilox. It is. Even though we don't talk about this stuff a lot on the channel, I've never, even when I detest, have detested Graves or Chud, I have never, ever spoken badly about the music. I always thought the music was good. It's good music. I, I, I enjoy it. I'm thankful that they wrote those songs. I sing along to those songs. I've got no problem with them. My problem is the confusing that with Misfits. That's not the Misfits. The Misfits existed from 77 to 83. Bottom line. And I've always felt that way. Even when I was, even when I was associating with these people at some point, you know, whether it was doing music videos or whatever I was doing, um, in the politely in the back of my mind, I was like, no, that's not the misfits. The you know, um, it's just not. It's not, dude. It's not. I feel in cheating a hot girl who's perfect. I'm gonna listen to. I don't. I don't know what you're. I don't know what you mean, Dudley, when you say that. Oh, when you listen to Michael Graves' Misfits. I gotcha. I get it. Oh, that is a weird photo of Dr. Chud with his weird drumsticks. Okay, that's when they were shooting the video, I guess. The the Dig Up Her Bones video. Here's some live. Again, love this. Love this getup. The, the, the straight jacket. The top hat with the devil lock coming down and the the skull skull makeup. Great look. And he just like sort of walked away from it after a while. Um, you know what? Honestly, I think it's lame. I think it's lame to say that. I think it would be lame to deny one's love for those albums if you enjoyed the music. Just because you feel the way that you feel that the people don't go down that route you know the other day we had a situation uh, I'll, I'll i'll just i'm just gonna say this now i should have said it then we were looking at the we were looking at the top we were looking at the top um punk punk guitarists uh 20 best punk guitarists and dr no was on the list from the bad brains and johnny ramone was on the list and we weren't talking about them as people we were talking about them as guitarists and it was in the comments, it was being, you know, addressed that they were, you know, as people, they had done really crappy, irrehensible, shitty things and that were undeniable. And yet what what I found challenging in the situation was, do we as a society, do we always have to bring up? something if somebody does something wrong bad unforgivable terrible does it take away from their achievements like and what i mean by that is like a great example i saw this on twitter today about um so about an author who did, did something that was unforgivable in the 30s or 40s um 
should they be admonished for it? But should their books be taken off their sh- off the shelves? And the answer is no. Why would you take a book off a shelf? What did that book, just because that book came from a shitty human being, doesn't mean it doesn't cancel the art. And that's where people get confused with this idea of cancel culture. It's one thing to hold someone accountable for what they've done, but it doesn't negate their accomplishments. It doesn't. It doesn't, man. In my person, me personally, it doesn't. I can't. I can't deny that I love something from someone, even if they've done something really shitty or stupid or unforgivable or irreversible in that kind of way, you know? And so the idea of talking about like, you know, being able to talk about American psycho and famous monsters, even though I disagree with and um, do not uh, endorse whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, champion, hold up the, Two, two out of the four people who who made that music uh, being uh, Graves and Chud, it doesn't mean that I don't love their their art and appreciate their art for what it is. And I'm grateful to them for making that art in that kind of way. And it's the same thing with Johnny Ramone, who was an anti-Semitic racist piece of shit. At the same time, he's Johnny fucking Ramone. And he played guitar on some of my favorite songs and was the the glue and the heart and soul that 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 carried the Ramones through, you know, most most times that would cause the band to 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 dis- disassemble, to disintegrate. Do I appreciate Johnny for that? Absolutely. Do I respect him as a guitarist? Absolutely. Do I respect him as a human being? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the same could be said for maybe the things that Dr. No has said or done from the bad brains. Same exact thing. Point being with all of this, people people get things very confused. Number one, you can absolutely be held accountable for the things that you say and do. Private companies have the right to not work with you if you do some stupid shit. That's just common sense. That's not canceling anybody and that's not canceling anybody's First Amendment. However, however, if somebody does something irrehensible like that, whatever it might be, that does not give license. We can't just suddenly erase that person's work output from existence. You can't do it, dude. I don't care. I know that Michael Jackson has done some terrible things, and I know that he was whatever. I don't want to get into Michael Jackson, but I love Michael Jackson's music. I love his dancing. I appreciate his music videos. I mean, I would be, what is it just suddenly go away? And, and, you know, it's different for, and we've talked about this before. It's so different for every single um, thing. There are some things where like, I'll give you an example. I'm a big fan of nobody who I talk about from time to time and nobody died a terrible death met a uh, metaphorical death. The, the uh, Justin is still alive. And well, as far as I know, Justin did some unforgivable things and um, devastating, devastating, unforgivable, terrible, irreprehensible things. He deserves to be locked up in jail for if all true, which he has somewhat admitted to. Um, It's given me weird feelings. Like I feel like I can't enjoy his music the way I used to for whatever reason. I don't know why I still listen to it sometimes for nostalgic reasons, um, nostalgia reasons, but like I can't, it's hard for me to separate. There are other other times where it's easier. 
you know, it's really hard to separate a stand-up comic from their art because they're the ones that are making the jokes. They're delivering their jokes. It's really, really easy for me to separate a director from his art because the director is not, you don't see the director's face. You know what I mean? It's a lot harder to separate maybe an actor from it's from the work because you see the actor on the screen of the thing you're enjoying. But like when it comes to like, uh when it comes to directors it's easier it's everything it's so subjective man it's so nuanced and yet at the same time again counterpoint counterpoint here at the same freaking time freaking um you know you 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 can't erase what someone has done accomplishment wise if they're a bad person i just don't think that's i don't think that's fair to art and commerce and and culture you know in that kind of way that's just me at the same time you know considering everything that's come out about bill cosby if you're a fan of the cosby show and i'm sure there's a bunch of people that are it probably is a lot harder to watch it might be hard to watch the cosby show with bill cosby there on the screen playing the squeaky clean dad when in reality he was doing what he was doing you know what i'm saying so it's like um, every, it's very subjective. It's very all over the place. I'm sorry for this tangent. I just was thinking about that just now. Uh, and I was thinking the other day, like when we were doing that thing with the punk rock, you know, talking about Johnny Ramone and Dr. No and, you know, uh, trying to celebrate their accomplishments as guitarists and not be the shitty things they did as people. And what I should have said is in that stream is like, what does one have to do with the other in this moment? If you can't enjoy it personally, I respect that. And I understand that if you got to peace out, peace out. Like you don't want to watch the stream, fine. But I don't see what, 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 what we're talking about guitar. We're talking about music. We're not talking about what their actions were as people. Okay. It's just not, it's not relevant to the conversation. You know, if every time we talk about their guitar work. We have to bring up that they're a shitty person. Do we have to do that? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, and, and, you know, I really don't want to sit here and sound like I have like the concrete definitive answer. I'm working through this stuff myself. Like, how does this work? How does this, how am I supposed to feel? How am I supposed to carry myself? I don't know. I don't know. I generally go by my gut. I go by what's true to me. And in this case with the misfits, um, what's true to me is I love, I love those fucking albums, even though they're, you know, were made by some people who are kind of shitty people, you know, um, Chud and Chud and Graves in particular. I love those albums. I love that music and I'll never apologize for liking it or listening to it. Um, I will apologize for listening to it as a misfits, misfits music per se, you know, um, because like I, I, I have, that's something that's hard for me to reconcile. I can't just go, no, that's, that's the misfits, uh, mock two. And that's it. I can't, I have problems with that. Um, but that other stuff. Yeah, that's how I, okay. I'm just going to move on now. Sorry for sorry. Tangent over tangent over. I just had to say all that. I don't know why it just came to me. So here's another, here's, here's them playing again. This looks like it's at that barn as well. I think this was for some promo. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's for the, the video as well. Here's Joey Ramone. There's Daniel Ray. Okay, what is this for? This is Daniel Ray, Joey Ramone. Now, 
Now, Jerry would play on Joey Ramone's solo album along with Daniel Ray, who was the who not only produced the Ramones, but he also produced the Misfits and co-wrote Misfits songs. Um, let me see here. Let me see here. But what is this for? Let's see. Okay, so this was Joey Ramone joins the Misfits at the Roseland Ballroom. The throne of Dr. Chud. You know, you know, what's interesting is before Joey Ramone broke his hip, he was supposed to sing for the newly formed or for the Misfits Mach 3. It would have been Marky Ramone, Joey Ramone, Doyle, and Jerry only. Half Misfits, half Ramones. Remisfits, I guess you would call it. That's cool, though. I love that Joey was uh, fr- was a friend to the Misfits in the in the 90s. Apparently, Dee Dee Ramone was a big, big into the Misfits in the 90s or the early aughts as well. Here we go. Here's them at the House of Blues in, in Florida, 1998. Look at those guys. Look at that. And look, you can see Doyle's not wearing those big platform shoes yet. So he's not as tall as as he used to be. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty chill. Pretty chill. Uh, is there video of this or am I thinking of Dee Dee playing with them? There is video of Dee Dee playing with them and there is video of... There is video of uh, Jerry Joey Ramone playing with them, I think, as well. I do think there's that giant TV they were talking about. Kenny, that's great, man. What they really? What a cool stage show! I never got to see the '95 Misfits, and I wish I had. I wish I had. They were just not on my radar yet. They would be on my radar just as they were imploding. It's a real shame. Here we go. And here's the Mike Hideous era of the band. We heard all about that. So, again, if you have not already, go listen to the Mike Hideous episode where he details his entirety, his entirety of being with the Misfits from start to finish. Three hours long it is. It was a great episode, um, apart for some comments that, that I did not appreciate Mike making on the air um so we're you know it's funny why do i wear the sunglasses i wear the sunglasses so i can hide my emotions sometimes and in that moment i was like man maybe i I was like man maybe i should end this show right now i can't believe this dude's just saying this stuff Uh, i'm really glad i didn't though uh, mike was a great guest overall overall he was a great guest and did a great job on the show and i appreciate him for taking the time to do it um so here's a little blurb about Mike Hideous, who took his ponytail and tied it in the front here. He was he was vastly uh, he'll tell you this himself. I'm not speaking out of turn when I say this. He he was not prepared. He 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 did those tours on a very, very short notice, and he was not prepared. His voice was not prepared for for the daily onslaught of singing that he would have to do. And he really strained his voice uh when going on tour. He says, I photographed the Misfits with another New Jersey singer, Mike Hideous from the Empire Hideous, during his short term fronting the band. Uh, Dynamo was the first time I saw them on a huge festival stage, 
playing to thousands of music fans. I mean, talk about, you know, if you're going to jump in and, and, and take Michael Graves spot, that's the perfect hideous got to do it the best times for big, big, big audiences. Hideous looked the part and sang his ass off, but he only lasted through that summer for one tour each in Europe and South America. He really got a taste. Michael Graves soon returned on August 29th, 1998, kicking off the Evil Live 2 tour at the convention hall in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. And, you know, Doyle and Chud were net, they never wanted Hideous in the band, from my understanding. And they were not very supportive of him, which is a shame. And maybe it's a shame that they were not more supportive. He was ultimately, I feel like Hideous was used as a, 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 he was, he was ultimately weaponized against Michael Graves. And it was not fair to Mike Hideous at all. Um, Not fair at all. I've never read his book. I really should. The, the, the biography, the diaries. He did tell us one story about Dr. Chud um, and a videotape of material that I'm not going to talk about on the air here now, but let's just say I was shocked when I heard the story. I, I guess that's in his book. I did not, I was, like I said, I've not read his book yet, so I don't know. Um, so here they are playing live, some just some great live shots. Oh, look, Doyle has a little uh, Star Trek emblem on his on his guitar strap. Right there in Giants. He has a giant sticker on his guitar. That's cool. Here we go. Who's this? Ooh, she is foxy. Why is this? Oh, is this uh is this that character, Helena uh Helena or something? Pretty girl. I guess she was another character. Yeah, that's Helena Helen Blazes. I don't know anything about her really. This is Halloween 1996. I thought she was a cartoon. That's what I thought. I didn't realize that there was a model. I knew about the cartoon, not the model. Uh, huh. And that was for... She was the fan club mascot, Helen Blazes. Became a Halloween postcard for the fan club. It's amazing that there was never a cartoon show around the Misfits. Like this version of the Misfits. You would imagine... And here they are on the uh, Uncle Uncle uh, uh, Floyd show. This is in Oakland, New Jersey. Now the Misfits had a ri- the original Misfits had been on the Uncle Floyd show uh, back in back back Doyle's first the night of Doyle's first show at sixteen years old. He was on the Uncle Floyd show, and Uncle Floyd is very 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 protective of his material. He had the Ramones on. He had all these different bands, and you can't see his archive. I mean, he could be making so much money. Talk about talk about a Patreon. I mean, the dude should have the dude should have done. And it's kind of like this jokey kitty show, kind of like uh, Howdy Doody or whatever. But like uh, public access punk tilt to it um, for those who are not. Every once in a while, somebody uploads something from Uncle Floyd, and Uncle Floyd has it taken down. He's still around. And he's um, he's not very easily accessible. Oh, it started in 1974. I did not realize that. So during 1998, I became the set photographer for long-running new, new local New Jersey TV program called The Uncle Floyd Show. Since 1974, Uncle Floyd, the Vino, hosted this low-budget adult comedy show. But it was like aimed, it was supposed to be a kiddie show, but it was aimed at adults. Featuring live music from local and national acts, including the Ramones, 
Tiny Tim, John Bon Jovi, Squeeze, David Johansson, The Smithereens, Blue Oyster Cult, Cindy Lauper, Peter Tork of the Monkees. Howard Stern made an appearance during his earlier days of the show. I did not know that. Performing with the puppets he had as a kid growing up on Long Island, Oogie. John Lennon was a big fan of the Uncle Floyd of Uncle Floyd. I did not know that. He turned on David Bowie and David Bowie and the Bowie song Slip Away mentions Floyd and Floyd's puppets, uh, Oogie and Bones Boy. Huh. In 1998, I was able to get the Misfits booked on the show, bringing together two New Jersey institutions. Uh, does Frank White not realize that they had been on the Uncle Floyd show back in the day? I guess not. Um, I did not know Howard Stern uh, or the, the David Bowie thing or the John Lennon thing. That is crazy. So you have to imagine that John Lennon's watching the Ramones on Uncle Floyd. That's nuts. Look at them. Look at those photos, man. Talk about talk. Seriously, talk about an archive that like, oh, my God. Look at that. I wonder if that's an original Night of Living Dead shirt. On black, though? I thought they were only on white. Yeah, look, Doyle Doyle doesn't have his... Doyle is shorter. He does not have his, his uh, platform shoes at all. Um, Let's see what we got here. Is that CBGB's, it looks like? Yep, CBGB's. And that was in 98. God, CBGB's, incredible place. Uh, and I guess, I guess maybe Jerry hadn't been there since, you know, 21 years earlier. Uh, unless they, maybe they played CBGBs earlier than that. I don't know. This I do not know. Okay, so here is Jerry only. That remember what we were talking about that uh, when he was photographing him at home. Look at all the famous monsters of film and magazines Jerry only has and his. Acoustic, he's got his acoustic guitars and his toy soldiers. He's wearing his um, workout belt in reverse with the studs. Such a signature Jerry only thing. <laughs> At home with Jerry only, December 1999. That's really cool. That's great. Uh, that's Jerry's dad. Is That's Jerry only senior, man. Yes, there he is. Look at him. So rare to see a photo of Jerry Sr. I very rare, seldom see photos of him. Now, he went to high school. He was in the same year as Benson. For anybody who knows uh, Cardi Sugar Bowl, the guy Benson, he went to high school with Jerry Sr. And they were in the same grade. Jerry Sr. played football. Um, Interesting guy. Interesting guy. And there he is, the son. So cool. Here are the plaques that they plan to make. These never really came out or never really did anything. Um, they were painted. I, I believe they were sculpted. They might have been sculpted by Kenny, Ken Kayafa, but they were painted up or the demos were painted up by by Tank, who, who mentioned that, who said that as much. Huh. It was 1999. So cool. And here's Jerry uh, getting into his W, uh, his wrestling, his WWE. Uh, Punk and wrestling, June 2000. One day, Jerry called me and announced that the band was getting into wrestling. So I, so was I. Shooting W, oh, let me just take that again. 
Punk and Wrestling, June 2000. One day, Jerry called me up and announced that the band was getting into wrestling. So was I. Shooting WWF, ECW, XPW, and WCW wrestling matches since the early 80s. Soon enough, Jerry outfitted his house with an arena-sized wrestling mat with the Crimson Ghost logo in the middle. I had never heard of that before. They were definitely in wrestling mode at that point. You'd have to be to own a wrestling ring in your own house. Shortly after, I was asked to do a photo shoot at the Warwick Barn for WCW Wrestling Magazine with the Misfits and a Mexican wrestler named Vampiro. Above, this photo is from the same from the same year captures Jerry performing an impressive wrestling style backwards dive into the crowd from the balcony of the Truncadero in Philadelphia on November 26, 2000, a day after my 14th birthday. The crowd caught him too, spikes and all. Wow. So cool. Yeah. Um, nice. That's cool. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so this is this is at a uh, the Full Force Festival in on June twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine. Look at the crowds! Look at the crowds! There's one. You know, they played Japan. There's like some video on YouTube. They played they played Japan one year. I forget where, and they really man, they were they they had, they had some energy to them. They really crushed it. Look at look at Doyle's makeup there. That is uh, very, his puffy, his very, very puffy devil lock. Their devil locks were a little awkward in the, uh, in the nineties. They, um, they got better. They got better with it. uh, I'd say in the aughts and definitely in the uh, 2010s, but in the nineties, they were a little awkward. Okay. Here's look, there's tank right there who we had on the show and he will be back. And here's (laughs) there's tank and Kenny, two lifelong friends. You know, Tank and Kenny, they had a pool business together. I think now Kenny is the uh, main operator. Uh, Tank is no longer involved with that business. Um, he 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 has his own business now. Um, but they they were they were they had a pool cleaning uh, business for many 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 years. Very very good friends. Um, it was through Tank that I interviewed Ken. So I'm eternally grateful to Tank. I, I'm eternally grateful to Tank for a lot of things. He's he's always been very good to me. I appreciate him. Appreciate him coming on the show the uh, the other week, and he'll be back. He will be back. It's going to be great. I have a lot more questions to ask him because of this book. Frankly, uh, we'll get to the comments. By the way, we're just just trying to get to the end of this so we can wrap things up. This is February two thousand. Over the years, the Misfits learned to indulge their theatrical side. Doctor Chud would appear in a cage beneath his drums as as a pumpkin monster with blood covering his torso at some shows the ben the band's friend tank would all would appear as frankenstein he and ken as the crimson ghost would fight on stage in a scene straight out from an old cover of famous monsters of film man that's awesome although i think it's uh, you know no offense frank but why are you calling him why are you calling tank the friend i mean tank was like tank eventually became the tour manager and he, he had been there he had been there working security, like all sorts of jobs for since the beginning, since 94, 95, 95. I mean, like that, I, I don't, I feel like that's crazy. That's a little crazy. Still really cool though. 
Um, great shots. And look at Jerry there. My God. Incredible shape for his age. I don't know how old he is. That's April 2001. So Doyle is now, or Doyle is soon to be out of the band. He's not out of the band quite yet. And there's another, there he is, February 2002. Now he's straight up out of the band. Or he's not in the band anymore. There's Uncle Dezo. And uh, Robo. <laughs> Look at Robo with his oversized drum set. Yeah, this was when, th these were the, the lean years, I guess you would call them, right? These were the lean years. We don't cover these years enough. We should. We should. Here we go. Look at this photo. There's the Misfits with the Ramones. You got all four guys from the Misfits and Joey and Marky Ramone. And again, Chud and Michael would leave. And the plan was to have, could you imagine uh, Joey and Marky? with uh Doyle and Jerry that would be that would be something else and there's Michael Berryman it looks like and who's on stage here who's that playing guitar and singing I don't know it's just with a bunch of fans there's Scott Ian from Anthrax there's uh Johnny Kelly who would eventually drum for Danzig typo negative there's Peter Steele um and that is Des there's an early, early, uh, early picture with Des. There's what's his face from the Insane Clown Posse and Guar. You got Odorous from Guar. Uh, don't know who they are. These look like they're fans, huh? Just a, a random potpourri, potpourri. Here we go. There's. There's Frank White and Ken Kayafa. Ken looks great there. They both look great. I, I just remember Ken, when I met Ken, he was just, you know, he was wearing a, a baseball cap and, and sweatpants. He, now he looks like, you know, real rock and roll, at least more like that, more like it. Here you go. Seven Misfits from Hell. This is a very, very well-known photograph. Um, this was at the Misfits box set release party at Generation Records. And what's amazing is I have either interviewed or worked with in some capacity, everybody here except for Jerry only. I've had uh, Michael Graves on Rock and Roll Cooking. Doyle's been on Rock and Roll Cooking. Chud's been on Rock and Roll Cooking. I've interviewed Bobby, Frank, and Jim. Um. And the only person to appear on the channel thus far is Jim, but Frank will be joining us soon enough. Uh, and I've never worked with Jerry in any capacity on anything. Just met him once. Look at that. Teenage, the misfits among us. Fiends featured in Teenagers from Mars and shows everybody who was in there, all the lineups and whatnot. Um, here's who Frank wishes to, this was cool that they did this little like photo shoot thing. Frank White wishes to thank my loving wife, Michelle, my biggest heartfelt appreciation of her love and support for the last 17 years. My loving parents, Millie and Frank senior, who brought me into this world and my sisters, Irene and Betty 
for coming along for the wild ride. My partner in this book, Ken Kaiafa, for resurfacing at the right time to create the best book on your brother's band, The Misfits, longtime friend Kevin Clement, who helped me meet The Misfits at his April 1995 Chiller Theater Expo, and especially Ian Christie, publisher of a bazillion books who believed in our idea and was willing to help us create this amazing book. Huge thanks to diehard fans of The Misfits around the world for all your spirit and love uh, for these punk rockers from New Jersey. Most importantly, I'd like to express my gratitude to all misfits band members from 1995 to 2006 for letting me into your lives so my photography could help bring you back from the dead ken says oh this is sweet he thanks george germain number one. Oh my god that is so sweet he says ken kaiafa would like to thank george germain for being so george you know there was i don't know if this ever went down but they were all going to get tattoos of George Germain's face and with something like the sons of Germain on them. Really sweet. Um, for those of you who don't know who George Germain is, he's like, he's many things in the misfit story. Um, not going to get into it now, but at the very top, George Germain for being a parent at a time in my life when I needed a parent the most. So, so nice. And teaching me how to work my camera. My brothers for having the balls to go out after what they wanted and never giving up regardless of the criticism and the obstacles. And I think what he means by that, he's talking not just about the lawsuits, but also just all the smack that people gave them for coming back as the misfits. Uh, that goes for Glenn as well. So he thanks Glenn. Frank Coma, Mr. Jim, Googie, Joey, Bobby, Robo, Dr. Chud, Mike Graves, Des, Marky Ramon, and Mike Hideous. You guys were good friends to me, and I love when I run into you. The many friends who helped this band throughout the years, you two, you are too many to make the list, but you know who you are. Also, Michael Lago, Mike Gitter, John Caffiero, Len Hetrick, and the late George Romero and Basil Gogos. My fabulous road crew, Tank, Landerman, Soto, McLaren, uh, Vitello, Sullivan, Tut, uh, Benetti, Mesa, Kunkel, and Parker. Your hard work was needed and appreciated. Frank White, for all the great photos and making this book a reality. Uh, Lori Grotsky, your support and understanding and forgiveness. And Big Heart is unparalleled. My sons, Junior and Mike. Uh, your un your unending teasing of me makes life worth living. That's really sweet. That's really nice. Um, I once I don't want couldn't say I really met him. I guess I briefly met his son Junior at Living the American Nightmare, the Mike Hideous documentary, the premiere, um, at Montclair, New Jersey, to twenty eleven. They handed out DVDs of Living the American Nightmare. I guess that's worth a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the end of the – is that the end of the book? That is the end of – oh, no, here's a little bit more. Another page. Them looking into the mirror. That's cool. And bookending it with um, – once again, oh, here's the last shot. Great shot of the band. Their first West Coast tour back in the day. Okay. That was a nice, solid two and a half hours managed uh, work through. 
Um, I thought we were never going to get, I thought I was like, oh my God, this, this show is going to be like four hours long, but we did it. We did it. We did it. I'm going to go through the comments real quick and we're going to wrap it up. I'm not going to hit every comment, just highlight comments that I, that pop out to me. Um, listen, if it is your first time with us, please make sure you subscribe to the channel. Please make sure to like, share, leave a comment. Uh, let some of your ads, if you get an ad pop up when, on my channel, click on it, play it, let it play through. Um, those little pennies go in, in, uh, in, in my pocket. It's very helpful to me. Oh, this is about the, uh, what I was talking about. Cancel culture. Terrible people can make great music. That is most certainly true. Great people can be terrible. Oftentimes they are. They say, don't meet your heroes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, unless you are Graves or a conservative musician, then it's okay to cancel them. I, I'm not going to go there. We already talked about it. I don't, have to, it, it's, I don't have to clarify the notion of cancel. Graves is a tool, but they made a few great songs. They sure did. I'm not canceling anyone for anything. Hmm. Have to be anti-censorship. You need to separate art from the person. Subjective, but we already talked about it. I'm not talking about it again. I will never prefer Graves over Glenn, but yeah, Cuts from the Crypt is a masterpiece. Okay. Ironic how anarchists on Reddit are the most canceling group of people. Hmm. Oh, I'm not going to answer. I don't know what the joke. I don't know what the answer. Oh, I see what the answer to the joke is. I'm not going to highlight that at all. Not going to highlight that. <laughs> Yeah, I think Polanski is a great example of people who have been able to divorce his actions from his art, you know. Their shitty actions shouldn't take away the good parts of my adolescence. I just don't support their... Yeah, that's a great... I think that's a great outlook. It's like Hannibal Barrett, Hannibal Barrett once said, the guy who literally sort of really pushed open the, the the Bill Cosby narrative, which was already an open secret. It's over, man. We experienced that shit. Can't erase memories. Yeah. Yeah. Can't follow Glenn without getting shit. I listen to music by some shitty people. I like Gigi Allen's early stuff with the Jabbers. I do too. I like that first Jabbers album is great. Um, Gigi Allen is an, was an incredibly shitty person who did incredibly shitty things, but that first Jabbers album is fantastic. Always was, is, shall be great album. Great album. No denying that the whole problem would have been solved with a simple name change. It really would have. I'm guessing this is in reference to the misfits. Yes, 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 yes. Rue was at that show. I believe it was, was the Ro Roseland, maybe the Ritz. Are you talking about with the Ramones? I'm guessing. I don't know. They just released the Iggy tribute. Okay, they're definitely talking about the Ramones. Because the Iggy tribute had 1969, which had Dr. Chud on drums, and Jerry only did bass. And that later went on the solo album. Um, that is awesome, Rue. I agree. Is there a video of this or anything? Right, we already talked about that. Not even boots. Hmm. The Iggy cover, I Got a Right, was the first time I heard New Misfits. So I refused to even check it out until my friend showed me it was kind of okay. And the old Misfits used to cover uh, Danzig 
and the guys used to cover i gotta write but he would say instead of anytime i want i got a right to kill i mean right to move he'd say anytime i want i got a right to kill i would kill to hear that version of i gotta write chris says saw the new misfits at the roseland and the ramones came out and did some songs in the 90s that's awesome i remember you say i remember in like 0405 leaving a danzig show in chicago people handing out chud flyers they all went to the ground oh there was a do- there was a dr chud uh street team and they were handing out chud flyers and nobody wanted them that's funny that is funny hideous had that 87 doyle fan club three foot long devil lock yes he did he had a very long devil lock he did he did. Uncle Floyd was the first time Rue Morg hurt the Ramones was because of Uncle Floyd. How about that? Story from Nigel is so great. Right. Yeah. That Nigel's story of hanging out with Danzig's pretty cool. You know, I had fun seeing the Jerry des misfits it was just fun to sing along to the songs it was terrible i mean it was it was it was really bad but whatever i had a good time you have a good time with jerry jerry only is still fun he's still fun you know you know he would listen if he had just called himself jerry only and gone out solo with des and robo or whoever they'd still be playing those same songs it would just be called jerry only he calls himself the misfits it sucks but whatever you know he's still doing it and we've talked about why he does that. He does that because he sings out of necessity. It's not, I don't think it's an ego thing at all. I think it's like, it makes, it made his life easier. It, it was one less guy to worry about. It, there was a, I feel like there's, I feel like it was out of, he tried so hard to find a replacement for Graves and he couldn't do it. He just said, I'll just do it. They first came to New Zealand in 2006. Nigel's band opened for them in Wellington. I met Jerry afterwards. Right. I believe Nigel mentioned that they kind of like they, they opened a bunch of times for, for Jerry's Misfits um, when they came to New Zealand. Or maybe it was like a small tour or something. Maybe. Hail Odorous for sure. Um, I got to interview Odorous. I talk, I've talked about that way too many times on the channel. I'm not going to mention it now. I love these long, deep dives into the weird eras of the Misfits, says Rick asked. Me too, man. Super fun. Super fun. I wish I knew more about other bands because I feel like we, there's so many that we could do. They should have been called Jerry Only and the Megamites. I love it. For the kids. For the kids. I love it. I don't know. Dudley says, I don't know these people personally. Okay. I think... You're referring to, oh, I'm all talked out, everybody. I'm I'm super, super talked out. This is a great, had a lot of fun, great episode. Thank you all for joining me. And thank you for watching for the last two years. Even though I screwed up the anniversary, it's actually in two days. Uh, we've already celebrated it. And it was a good celebration. And hopefully we're still doing this a year from now. And the channel's bigger. That's what I hope. That, that's literally all I hope. I'm just going to keep doing this because it makes me happy and I enjoy it. And as long as I enjoy it, it makes me happy. That's great. And if the byproduct is that there is growth and uh, that's great. And if there's not, then there's not. And I can put as much energy into it 
as I want to. I think we got another subscriber. Tammy, you just subscribed to the, to the channel. I appreciate that. If you did, I don't know. Or if you, I don't know what that was, that notification. I think that's a Twitter notification, uh, Twitch notification. But thank you, Tammy. And, and any which way, thank you. Um, bottom line, do what makes you happy, people. As long as you're not hurting anybody, just... Just do, if you make music, make music. If you make movies, make movies. If you like to write, if you like to create, do stuff that makes you happy. And I promise you that if you're really good at what you do, or if you just keep at it, that there will be all, things will manifest in as a byproduct in ways that you did not intend. You know, whether it's, you know, um, doing something in a regular sort of way or, um, slowly but surely building something you know that's that's my feeling on it at least personally um but thank you everybody thank you mom thank you alan thank you neon knees thank you uh dudley um ralphie repulsive says has anyone heard Jerry's son's band? I think he could be a good Misfits vocalist after the reunion shows run their course. Um, I have not listened to Jerry uh, Jerry Other's band, but I have to tell you, I love that this dude calls himself Jerry Other. I think it's phenomenal. I love that there's another... I love that, first of all, Jerry himself is a Jerry Jr., but I love that there's a Jerry the third. There's a third Jerry, and instead of calling himself Jerry Only Jr., he calls himself Jerry Other, the way that his dad is Jerry Only. It's you just can't write this stuff. It's great, and I love that he's just like you know he 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 was playing guitar for for Jerry for a while, and then when Danzig came back and they were doing their thing, he just kind of went off and he released his own record. He released put out a record as as Jerry Other. He did what I think his father should have done many 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 years ago. Um, so I think it's great, and I hope he uh, puts out an album. I'll I'll check it out. And um, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd go see him if he came to town and whatnot. But I've not listened to it. I don't really know. I don't know anything about it. I'd love to love to know more. Thank you, Rue. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. The, the shows are, are far few between now. But when they happen, they're good, right? Isn't that what this is all about? Um, Rue says, someday I'll tell you about my Jerry Only story. I cannot wait. Rue, one day that will happen. Tammy says, been watching your channel for a while. Good content. Keep it up. Thank you, Tammy. Really appreciate it. Truly. Uh, one last thing, guys. We're supposed to do a devil lock contest. Okay. I had, we were supposed to do the second devil lock pageant. I've only had one or two email uh, people send in stuff. Come on, send in some. I'm not going to do it if I have just one person. Like, and you know what? Listen, ultimately, it comes down to demand. If there's no, Last time we, we, the first time we did the devil lock pageant, we had like, we had a whole bunch of submissions. So we had like 20, 25 submissions. We were rating a bunch of devil locks. I need some more. So go take a look at the criteria. It's on the, go, go find the devil lock two pageant rules. And um, let's, let's make this thing happen. Let's do it. What, does anyone know why Ratfink wasn't a part of the pre-master Night of Living Dead session tracks on the, coffin box set i don't i don't i don't i'm bald dude 
being bald, uh, you know, one of the rules for the devil lock pageant is that you could make a devil lock out of anything. You know, I believe in inclusion, man. I, I like to include everybody. No one should be excluded from a devil lock contest because they're bald. Get creative, neon knees. Get creative. You could take a slim gym and hang it down the center of your forehead, and that could be a devil lock. You could take some prosciutto, twist it, or bacon, and twist it like this, and deep fry it, and then stick it right down the middle, and you could have yourself a meat lock. It's totally possible. Ralphie says he's bald, too, and it never stopped you. Exactly. Just, just make it happen. Make it happen. Um, you can send your submissions to video business media at gmail.com put in the title subject devlock but check out the contest rules don't just submit there's rules i forget what the rules are i don't remember what the rules are but there are rules and the rules must be followed i wrote them for a good reason i don't remember why i wrote them but i wrote them um guys i'm exhausted i'm exhausted but it's two hours and 49 minutes. I mean, we really should have a three-hour show. Should we not? Should we not? No, let's not do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing that game. I used to do that all the time. All right. More stuff is coming. I've got a big, fat interview next Sunday. Fingers crossed. God willings. God's willings. It goes really well. Big One of the biggest guests we've ever had on the channel. I mean, this is big times. Big times this guest. I'm very excited. Hope it all goes. Well, I shouldn't even talk about it. I never talk about this stuff. I just do it. And then once it's happened, you can talk about it. I just have so excited. I'm so excited uh, and nervous. Um, lots of stuff happening in general, just lots of stuff going on. Steve Zing music video that's coming sooner than later. Um, what else can I tell you? I don't know. I don't think there's anything else. Just sub subscribe to the channel, please make sure you do that. And shit, shit. Um, wait. Oh God, why is this frozen on me? You could try to reach out to Jerry's son to an interview since his father is inaccessible. You know, I would love to interview Jerry's son, but you know what the problem is? I don't know if he would want to talk to me because I don't think I've been overly critical of Jerry only um but i just i don't know i don't know how he would take it i don't know if he would be like not interested or or consider the things that i've said as criticism i don't know i don't know if he would do it i'd love to have him on i would love to talk to jerry jerry jr um and and like i said i really truly respect him striking out on his own as jerry other i think it's great i think we've even encouraged people to buy his stuff on the show um Yes, the new Black 29 is coming in April, and you'll never believe who is in. I think it's still a secret. Maybe the song is a secret, or is the people a secret? I don't remember what, what Steve said on the show, but uh, there are some guests in this music video that I've been editing that I think you all will really appreciate in, 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 in Steve's new music video for a Black 29 track. It's going to be really cool. Really, really cool. We Steve and I did a music video once before. Check out Sweet Nothing if you haven't seen it. Black 29, that's that's my that's my music video that I directed for Steve. Um, that's it, guys. That's it. I think that's it for the show. So listen, peace.
hair grease, all that jazz. Like, share, subscribe. Do you know about the Patreon? Make sure you check it out. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. And... <laughs> the YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents. Make it for Lola! Make it for Lola! Make it for Lola! Make it for Lola!